So people, good evening to every one of us. Um, so yes, we're here again once more for the continuation of our last time discussion on the serpent, on the serpent, on the serpent, you know. I mean, one hears the word serpent and I mean, oftentimes people will be like, my God, why are you talking about the serpent? You know, what, what you know, how can we talk about, let's talk about Jesus. You know, there's always this, um, <laughs> I'm not throwing any shade, but you know, sometimes in order to avoid something that we don't understand or maybe we are afraid of talking about, you know, we, we hide behind Jesus. No, 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 no. Is it Jesus I want to talk about? Don't talk about this one. Don't talk about that one. Just Jesus, you know. But is it possible to talk about, um, is it possible to remove Jesus Christ from any part of the Bible? You know, I'm asking. Because Jesus Christ did say that these scriptures that you search through in, in, in search of me all testify of my person. You know, so everything from Genesis all the way to Revelation testifies about the Christ. And if one really has understanding of the word of God, right, the written word, there's no part of the Bible you can pick up that you can't extract Christ from. Whether it's from Baal, whether it's from um, Jehoshaphat, whether it's from Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's from Ezra, Judas, whether it's from Simon the Magician, whatever. If it is a book that was indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit, there is no aspect of the book that won't in some way point to Christ, you know. So just saying that as an opening statement, you know, because I know that some people have made some comments and, you know, like, why are we talking about the serpent, you know, and stuff like that, and stuff like that, you know. But yeah, like I said, you know, we're in a series called The Tales of the Origin, and, um, as I've said so many times, when one doesn't understand how it's just like a TV show, right? If you come to a TV show in season three, I mean, you enjoy it, you know, you get to see some action, it's still nice, but there's some things that you can't really grasp about the narrative unless you've seen season one, true or false? Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. indeed. So the Bible is just like this, you know, it's just like a, TV, a long TV show, you know, that has been running. It was running even before the book of Genesis was written. So we, we literally, every single one of us literally entered into this world in the middle of a TV show, right? Some of us here were born 2000, some of us 1995, some 1990, some 1985, 1980, and so on and so on. You were literally born and behind you was a whole lot of history that you had to start to catch up, you know, catch up with. So literally all of us were just thrown in the middle of time somewhere, somehow. And there was so much that happened behind us that we spend most of our life trying to understand. You know, for some of us who grew up in homes where our parents had certain beliefs, not just spiritually, but in their character, their morals and stuff like that, that we didn't understand until maybe much later in life when we started having some understanding about their background and stuff like that, then it began to make sense. Has any one of us had that kind of experience before? Indeed. Yes, sir. Aha, you know. So the Bible is just like this, you know. And I always like to get us to see how we can relate every part of it to our lives, to the most simple and basic aspect of our lives. That we relate it to the most simple and basic aspect of our lives doesn't make the Bible a basic book. 
You know, the Bible will always have its complexity. The Bible will always have its depth. But one has to understand it in a very simple and basic way and how it relates with us on a day-to-day, you know, because once we get it like that, then no matter how complex things might get, once the simple is grasped, everything else just begins to unfold. So last week, and for the past few weeks, we've been in the Garden of Eden. Um, I believe a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago, because last, the last session was between the last session we had and the session before it was a couple of months because we took a hiatus, you know. So we started talking about the Garden of Eden, I think in February. Then we talked about the knowledge of good and evil. Then we took about two months before we now talked about the serpent. So when the Garden of Eden story, and this literally is like the cradle of humanity where everything literally begins. The whole story begins, the fall and everything and everything and everything. And we saw that right there from the get-go, <clears throat> the serpent was present. You know, like I wrote in the study guide, I said the word serpent is from the Hebrew um, nahash, nahash. And like I explained, you know, the Hebrew language is... Um, at its root, most of all the words are verbs. It talks about something being done. You know, it's always, every name, every word at its root points to some kind of activity or the other because the Hebrew language, the Hebrew tradition, the Hebrew culture is about doing, doing, doing. It's about motion, motion, motion. It's about activity. So the word Nahash, as a noun, it means a serpent or it's usually associated with a serpent. As a verb, it means to whisper, you know, and as an adjective, it means shining. So all these three characteristics were ascribed to the serpent, you know, and if you look at the life of the serpent and the nature of the serpent and the different things that it does all throughout the Bible, you see that it's some way associated to those three things, you know, like I, I wrote in the study guide, the snake of course, we know about what a snake is, you know, it, it's very slithering, it, it bites, you know, from a concealed place and its venom is very dangerous once it enters into a person's body, you know. And like I said, natural things are always used as symbols to explain supernatural things. So because we've seen the effect venom has in the physical body of a human being, that serves as a perfect analogy to talk about something that poisons our mind and our hearts. Do we understand that thus far? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm just trying to um, recap to get us up, up to speed before we move forward, you know. And when we study the serpent, everything it does, it's, it's always poisonous. It's always something that kills us spiritually and even sometimes physically because the deception of Satan has led many people to physical death, you know. But physical death is not as serious as spiritual death because one thing is for sure, this body that began one day must end one day, you know? That is a given. Anyone who is born into this physical world must die from this physical world. It's a guarantee for every single one of us. So physical death is not as serious as spiritual death. The death of the soul, the dissociation of a soul from God, its source, it's a very serious thing. And that's why, you know, God takes it seriously, especially lies that pull a person away from that which is supposed to keep it connected to him, you know? So, we talked about the other time 
how from Genesis chapter 2 and um, when it's written that out of the ground, the Lord God formed the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air and this and that, and he brought them to Adam to name them. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent was the most cunning of all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. You know, letting us see from a very scriptural standpoint that it was God who indeed created the serpent. And um, I think we brought out is a scripture from the book of Revelation. I think Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, correct me if I'm wrong where it was written when John was writing that this same serpent who is also the Satan, who is also the dragon, you know, showing us how one being or one creature, one entity has been given different names all throughout the Bible. Because some people were asking, they said, oh, did Satan possess the serpent? But when we look at that scripture in, in the book of Revelation, we see that the serpent itself was Satan. It was the dragon. It was the devil. The serpent was a symbol used to describe its nature, to help the common man understand that what is being spoken about is something that is poisonous, something that is deadly. Aha, awesome. Thank you so much for that, Omolara. So Omolara just put the scripture for us, though it's an amplified version, and it's written. And he overpowered and laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, that's in reference to Genesis chapter 1, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him securely for a thousand years. Anyway, we're not going to that today, but I mean, that, that scripture alone, <laughs> that's a very big study on its own, but that's besides the point. So we're talking about the serpent in the garden who is also the Satan. So now today, we're going to begin our study or our discussion from the name, the Satan. Because in Hebrew, that's how it's called. It's called the Satan. In Hebrew, they literally say Hashatan. Hashatan means the Satan. They don't say Satan, they say the Satan, Hashatan. And the word Hashatan or Shatan means simply this adversary or opponent, period. That's what it means. It just, it defines a being, a creature, a thing that is in opposition to you. That is your adversary. That is your opponent. Make sense? Mm. Awesome. So the name Satan just means something so simple. Adversary, opponent. So the question to ask, why did God create an opponent for man? Why did he create an adversary for man? Because like in the last session I said, and I said it so boldly, that Satan has a ministry. I so love what Dan said in the beginning of um, when we're having a, we're having a ref reflection moment. And he talked about how he was in a session with someone and the person did say that Satan is doing his job. And that is absolutely true because Satan himself has a job he's fulfilling in nature. Satan has a role that he has to play for the work of God to be complete. Satan has a ministry 
God created him for a purpose. And he's a very important ingredient in the cooking of the soup of the sons of God. Like we wrote about and we spoke about the other time in reference to the book of James, when it is written that do not say when one is tempted that one is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted and does not tempt anyone. But we, when we are taken away by our desires and become enticed, fall into temptation. That was a paraphrasal, but the summary of that scripture is we are only tempted by what we desire. If you don't desire something, if you don't have a craving for something, it can never be a temptation to you. An eight-month-old baby cannot be having sexual arousal because that desire doesn't exist in them. They can have a desire for milk and it it will be a real temptation to them and you see how they act in face of that temptation. They cry and scream. I'll be true or false. (laughs) True or false. True. You know, so from, aha. So from childhood, we can already see how you know, we're already falling into temptation and, you know, losing ourselves, you know. I mean, if you look at babies, babies can get very angry. Anyone who has been around babies, you know, like when you don't do what they want, you see their face will change, you can see that they're angry with you, you know. You cannot see that they, are, they wish they had the words to properly dish out what's in their heart. And if you notice, children always pick up bad words first because most of the time, they are feeling bad. They are feeling irritated about something. They are feeling upset about something, but they don't have the words to communicate to you what it is that they are feeling. So once they start watching movies, once they start looking at you, they not see that, hmm, anytime my mother is shouting, you know, she always says, God will punish you. And because children, they don't, at, the, at a young age, they understand feeling and emotion more than words, Right? So when they see you shouting and, you know, squeezing your face, they understand that emotion. They understand that energy because at that age, it's energy they really work with, you know? So when they see you emanating the kind of energy that say, ah, I know this energy. This is how I feel whenever they don't give me milk. When they now see that, in that moment you are producing that energy, you say God will punish you. They say, ah, so that means, okay, next time I'm feeling like this, I'll use that word. <laughs> Do you guys understand what I'm saying? That's how baby's minds work up. They begin to associate certain feelings to words so that they can communicate to you what's going on inside of them. That's why from nowhere, your two-year-old, your two, your two when she gets irritated, she does do like this, God punish you with waka. <laughs> so you can see that even children are not innocent. You know, they, don't, they just don't have the capacity to perform the wickedness that is in their heart, you know? <laughs> The moment they start to get the capacity, first of all, with their words, they start to fire you, you know? <laughs> exactly. You'll be like, where did they get that from, you know? <laughs> so temptation doesn't begin when one is older. It starts right from the cradle, you know, based on what is our desire in that place of life. And as we begin to evolve from the cradle into the playpen, into the high school, our desires start to change and different things start to become a temptation to us. I mean, I'm four, year, four years old. Can you tempt me with money? It doesn't mean anything to me. Money doesn't mean anything. Cartoon means something. You know, a hug means something. You know, some affection, some kisses mean something. My ice cream that I want to lick means something. But money doesn't mean anything. I don't know what money is. So you can't tempt a four-year-old with money. 
well, most four years, because you'd be surprised that <laughs> the things you see in the world today will, will be very alarming, you know, but generally speaking, money is not a great temptation to a four-year-old, but maybe at the age of 13, you know, maybe, you know, for those of us who in high school, you know, those ice cream men used to come at the gates to sell fan yoga and all those stuff, you know, you had one babe or you had one guy that you liked, and every time you buy that fan choco or fan ice, the guy will smile or the girl will, hey, you see, that's when money starts to become a temptation. <laughs> I remember when I was in GS1, I like one girl that was in SS2. Eh? Miriam, what did you say? Experience. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Export was safe. No, it was standard. You have to, you know, so if you buy all this, especially the expensive, those days, the expensive ones were the ones that were like 120 naira. So if you buy like three, God, they say, my God, this guy is balling. <laughs> Then you're going to give it to the girls. you like, say, take, I got this for you. So, oh, my God, are you serious for me? <laughs> oh, my God, sorry, I'm playing too much. This is so much of a digression. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, as we... <laughs> okay, the GS1 story, I'll continue to take her. So, when I was in GS1, I liked one girl that was in SS2, you know. Can you imagine? See the kind of mind I was having at that time, you know. And I liked this girl, you know, because she was always treating me like a school son. So, my mother like, ah... This cool song that you're talking about, I don't understand this one. Though. <laughs> so the girl too, eh, that girl was a crook when I just think about it, you know. <laughs> she knew that, you know, I, I used to like her and everything. Of course, there was nothing that was going to happen. I was like five years a junior and stuff like that, you know. But she started to rub my head. She told me, hey, baby, do you want to, can you buy me some credits? <laughs> me, I'm not going to steal my mother's money to buy credits for the girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, a whole senior. <laughs> That's how I got steal money. I'll buy credit. They now caught me one day. See the way they beat me. Eh? But anyway, we thank God. <laughs> okay, someone asking what is GS1? Okay, GS1 is like um grade seven. Grade seven, SS2 is like grade, grade, um, grade 10. Grade 10, I think. Yeah, grade 10. So she was like, no, grade, grade 11. So she was like five grades ahead of me, you know. <laughs> Jefferson said it's the ambition. <laughs> it's good to dream big, my brother. <laughs> you know, so... Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, at that age, you know, that was a temptation for me. Not big money, just money for me to get some ice cream, to toast some girls and, you know, tell them all the stuff they like to hear and all those kind of things. But as one started to get older, you know, desire started to get more sophisticated, more complex. So, and that's how life goes, you know. And the things that we desire, you know, the things that we desire are the places where we are most vulnerable. That's why if you look at life, you know, especially in the, in just in life in general, people always want to know, the people who feel very powerful are people who know they have something you want and they use it to get you to do what they want, you know, whether it's someone who is in a more financially, um, um, uh, financially um, powerful position than you, maybe someone who has more money than you, you know, maybe in an office, they have a higher position, you know, and they know that you, you know, you, you convert their recommendation, you, they know you convert their, their, their attention and stuff like that, you know, you want a raise, 
And because they understand that your desire is for a race, and they believe that that desire is in control over you, what do they now do? They come and touch you like they say, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Because human beings, like I wrote in a study guide, human beings too, if you understand this nature of the serpent, you see how human beings too are serpentine in nature. That's why Jesus Christ could look at people and say, you brood of vipers. Because when we want to manipulate someone, we first of all want to know what they desire. Men do it, women do it, even children do it. A baby that is two years old, do you know they know that you desire peace of mind? You know? So when they want something for you, because they know you desire peace of mind and you do anything to get it, they will cry because they know once they cry, you're going to come running and you solve their problem. I'll be true or false. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Children are more manipulative than you think. I mean, there's been a lot of studies that has gone into this. Children are more manipulative than one thinks. And if one doesn't start to catch them from the young age and they develop that mindset of, ah, the moment I cry, mommy or daddy will do what I want. You see, that's how they grow, they grow up with that mindset of not having any kind of restraint because they know that because you desire peace of mind so much, you will do anything they want. <laughs> Miriam said it's true. <laughs> Miriam, how many children do you have? <laughs> I don't have now. And I've, yeah, I've been. You know, I used to teach, yeah? Yeah, 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 you said so once. Indeed, you know. So, in order to manipulate a person, you know, you have to know what it is that they desire, you know. And that person also has to be a slave to that desire. For example, there might be a young girl who is 23, 24, just pretty much starting out life, you know. And this job that she has is everything. You know, it's everything. You know, she's probably the firstborn. Um, her mom is probably ill. Her dad is late. She has three younger brothers, you know, who in a little way, she's trying to make sure that they eat. You know, she's, she has a lot of burden on her shoulder, you know. So every penny she gets means the world to her. Every penny means the world. So now the boss doesn't necessarily know the depths of her life and whatnot, but he just knows that this is a girl who needs this job with all her life. And then he comes to her and says, hey, I'm going to fire you for this and that or whatever. If you don't want me to fire you, you should come to my hotel and let me have my way with you. You know, now one can easily just say, oh my God, the girl is a this and that, but one doesn't look at you know, the backstories and whatnot. But nonetheless, in that moment, it's not her love for money that makes her fall victim to such a person. It's her fear of what will happen to her and her family for not having it. Does that make sense? Huh? Yes, it does. Indeed. Yeah, it does. Uh-huh. So her boss or whoever he is, whatever, he understands that she's afraid like that. Or even in university, maybe a girl who, who knows what family she comes from, maybe her parents are very strict and whatnot, and she doesn't do well, and he knows she's so afraid to go home with bad grades. He now capitalizes on that fear, which is also a desire. You know, like we said, if it, fear is the desire of something you don't want to happen to you. 
So I don't want this, that's fear. And that is a desire. So the lecturer or the boss knows that, ah, this particular person, this particular person is very fearful. And when a person is afraid is when they can easily be manipulated, can be controlled, especially when they don't have their fears under control. And the enemy knows this. Whether the enemy might be someone in spirit or someone physically in front of you, he knows this very well. And those areas where we don't have control of our fears are the areas where we are most vulnerable to attacks. And that's, those are areas where temptation always comes from. Life is not so straightforward. You know, the way we just judge people and just talk anyhow. You know, let me tell you a story. We're still talking about the serpent, but I always like to give some backstories and everything, you know. I'll tell you a true story about my life, you know. Interestingly, I lost my virginity in the brothel. Look at life, you know. I remember that night like it was yesterday, you know. I went out with one of my friends, you know. This was after I encountered God who understand this, you know. I went out with one of my friends and then we went to a club, got some drinks and everything, you know. The next thing, there were some girls there. They were like, okay, we can come back to our house, you know. Silly me, I went with them, you know. And then... um. Yeah, you know, did what we did and whatever. So at the end of the night, one of my friends who was with us, I think he didn't have money to pay that night to sleep with one of the girls. So he was just outside gisting with, <laughs> you know, one of the girls that was there, you know. And we just came outside and we saw our friend, one of the girls outside, and the girl was just crying. We're like, what did you say to this girl? <laughs> you know, apparently she was telling her life story, you know, how... Um, She's like 22. Her mom and dad died when she was um, 15. And her and her brothers, her two younger brothers, have been on the streets since then. And she's been the one feeding them, taking care of them. Not only that, she's been saving money up to pay for her tuition for med school, you know. So one does meet someone like that, the people are so quick, oh, you prostitute, you are shower, you this, but you don't even know you know, people's backstories, you don't, you don't know where, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh So in that girl's regard, it's not lust that was a temptation to drive her into prostitution. It wasn't lust. It was fear for the safety of her brothers and for herself and for their future. Because pretty much she's 15 years old, but because her, both her parents have gone, she has become a mother of those two young boys. And she, she picked up a responsibility that she was not in any way capable of handling. And that exposed her to a lot of temptations, you know. So before one just judges, one needs to be very careful, you know. Doesn't mean what she does is good, But that's why God says, leave judgment to me because God doesn't judge like men. God really takes a lot of things into account because that young girl, if it was up to her, which person enjoys to be dehumanized every night? No one enjoys that, you know? Even if people say they do, but when you start to get to the roots of their heart, you see that there's some brokenness, some pain, some something that they're trying to deal with. No one likes to, you know, go through that. So in that girl's life, 
The temptation was that her brothers would be hungry, you know, she wouldn't be able to go to school, you know. So what motivated her to do evil was actually something virtuous. Does that make sense? Huh? Yes, it does. Because oftentimes when we look at temptation, we think that temptation is always motivated by something evil outright, but not really. Sometimes what tempts you is something you are tempted from a good part of you, not necessarily from a bad part of you, because she was tempted from the place of how am I going to take care of my younger brothers? No one will look out for us. If I don't put food on the table, they'll be taken into the streets, this and that. How am I going to go? You know, no one is going, you know, and it leads them into a kind of life and things like that. I'm starting out from this point to help us to begin to reflect on a lot of things in our lives because, you know, we always expect the enemy to tempt us from very nasty places, but oftentimes, not really, you know, not really. It can come from a very good place. As a man or a woman, you might think, oh, I've overcome lust. Someone cannot just come and say, hey, baby, to my DM and I'll fall for that. Yeah, probably not. But you don't know if someone comes to you injured, broken, wounded, you know, and your desire to be a mother or a father to them is what opens you up. How many of us have actually been in that boat before where our desire to try and help someone we thought was broken or hurt led into a very lossful situation? How many of us can be honest about that? Uh -huh. that I have. Know that very uh -huh. well. Uh -huh. Because we think that temptation comes from maybe a very dirty place. Sometimes temptation can come from a place of our compassionate heart. And it, it, it probably happens to women more than men because, you know, women are naturally more compassionate than men, you know. When they empathize with the person's pain, when the guy starts telling about his story, you know, when he starts to cry to you, oh my God, you say, oh, he's opened up. How, how can I help him, you know? And then, you know, the next thing he starts to touch here and there, and then you start to feel like maybe this, you know, and then. So lust is involved. But before lust was touched, it was your compassion that was the gateway. So there are different ways it can enter. It's not always straightforward. You know, it can come from, from different ways. You know, in the Garden of Eden, it was written that Eve saw that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. Who knows it's that wisdom? She wanted to use it to make a home for her husband. You don't know. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? Who knows? I'm just, I'm just speaking hypothetically now. Because we assume that it will always come from some angle that is so obviously diabolical. Not really. You know, not really. Exactly, exactly. To the ritual, to please God. You know, so say, ah, I need to please God. And it's true. A lot of people have done a lot of crimes in the name of pleasing God. It's true. And that's why the church is at the stage that it is right now. Because of people who are what you can call religious bigots, who in the name of, oh, I want to serve God, I want to do this, but they hurt so many people along the way, you know, for little temptation. For example, uh, hey, jihad, exactly, to the, to the, the, the jihad. Yeah, jihad, even the um, Christians in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church, the uh, Holy, Holy Inquisition. When they went around burning villages, burning people, saying, oh, you don't believe in God, you're going to burn, saying, oh, we're the Lord's army, 
evil was propagated in the name of God. And men always do this. Whether they hide behind, hide behind religion, whether they hide behind capitalism, they hide behind whatever. Men are always hiding behind something to propagate the evil that is in their hearts. And if you check most of it at the root, you find something that is somewhat holy or has the appearance of something holy, you know? Oh, I want to protect my land. I want to make sure my children have a future. Like for example, the black Americans, they'd be like, oh man, I'm just trying to make sure my kids gonna eat, man. I, I, got, I got to put food on the table, you know? You know? The good part of themselves or somewhat good part of themselves are the areas where temptation can easily seep in. <laughs> Just listen. <to> it. <laughs> Lol. Lol. <laughs> you know, the good part of ourselves, exactly to do it. So this is the shiny part of the snake. Because when he says something is shining, I mean, in the Bible, when he talks about something shining, it talks about light, right? And light appears to make you see, for example, if you're in a dark room, maybe the light is off at night. There's a table in front of you, a fridge here, a bed there, this and that. When the light is off, you can't see anything. You're just in a room. There are many things around you that you can't see. The moment the light comes on, you begin to see the different things that are in the room where they are because light starts to let you see what is in your environment. It lets you see the true picture of things which enables you to go in the right direction. Now, when they say the serpent can shine, it means that it can make you believe that this route it's pushing you to is the best way. It will make you believe this is the liberation you are looking for. Do you understand? To the rest of your rights, we really need Jesus. Because you see the people who are in the club every Friday, high on drugs and on liquor. They, are really, they really believe that that is their salvation. I'm telling you. Everyone in this world is looking for Jesus Christ, but they don't know what Jesus Christ is. Because if you ask the person in the club, what are you looking for? Man, I just want peace of mind. Man, I just want to be happy. I just want to, I just want to, I just want to. And if you see the heart of what they're looking for is Christ. But they don't know what Christ is. They think Christ is in the bottle. And by the time they drink the first quarter, I say, ah, maybe Christ will be in the half, in the, in the half of the bottle. They get to the half, say, ah, maybe it will be the three quarters. They get to three quarters, say, ah, maybe it's in the end of the bottle. So they will not get to the end. They didn't find that peace they were looking for, you know. For a moment, the alcohol or the drugs will help them to detach themselves from their pain. And in that moment of detachment, they feel like, ah, peace has come. But since it's fake, you know, like they say, hi, you attain a height. But because it's fake, you know, what goes up must come down. So you separate yourself from your pain with the alcohol for some moments. But because you haven't done the work with the Holy Spirit to actually deal with the hurt and pain and sorrow in your heart, that thing you just detach yourself from for, it, for a moment will come back. And it will come back hard. And that will lead you to go back to that same place again in search of peace. Whether it's the club, whether it's your job, whether it's this guy or this girl, whether it's whatever. Everyone is looking for that peace, that salvation, that joy. But they're looking for it in the wrong place. You know? And they really believe that they've seen the light. Because when you hear them talk about the life that they live, you see 
you see belief in it. You, you literally hear them, there's a faith in what they're doing, you know? There's a faith. Like you see all these American rappers, they have so much faith in their diamond chains and their diamond grills and the rings and the, you know, the expensive watches. They have so much faith in it because growing up, they were dejected. No one ever loved them. No one ever appreciated them. They were treated like scum. Police who beat their dad, beat their mom, beat their cousin. Everyone was just disrespecting them, disrespecting them, disrespecting them. They were tired of disrespect. They were tired of feeling unloved. They were tired of being unseen. Now, when they look at the world around them and they see that, oh, People smile when they see you have diamond. It doesn't matter whether the smile is real or fake. They don't see that people smile. They say, ah, I think the solution I need is in that chain. Because every time I wear that chain, people smile to me. So maybe when I have the chain on my neck, uh, I've made it in life. And that's what happens. All of them struggle all their life to put on that chain so people can smile so that they can, they, they, they think that when they get there, they are free from all the sorrows in their life. But when they make the money and they put on the chain and they put the grills, they buy the Rolls Royce, the Maseratis and all that, they find that the pain is even more intensified. Are you guys getting what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Exactly, Amolara. That's the backstory to this Pepe mentality. It comes from a place of brokenness, low self-esteem and a deep desire to be loved. So they will do anything to get love out of you. Whether it's real or fake, they just want you to smile at them because no one ever did. And they are so greedy for it. Ah, yeah, you must love me. That's why no matter how much money they have, they still have to keep posting all their cars because it's not the cars they care about. They care about your adoration. They care about your praise. They don't care about the cars. They only bought it because of you. So you're actually the powerful one, not them. Because the moment you stop to like their pictures, the moment you stop saying, oh my God, chairman, you don't come. Oh, baby girl, but they have finished. Because now they now get back to that same place where they were, where no one loves me. And that's what happens with a lot of people. Because you haven't dealt with that fundamental sorrow in your heart. Even if everyone loves you, right? The one person that says, I don't love you, you will forget about the hundred people that love you and you start putting all your headache to get that one person to love you. And if they don't love you, oh, you start to cry again. You want to do everything you can to get them to love you. It's because there's something that is still broken inside that hasn't been fixed. Do you guys get what I'm saying? So if one doesn't allow God to deal with certain issues in the heart, and you think it's by getting something on the outside, one will search outside till they die and they will not have peace. And this is the truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? A brilliant case study that I always like to talk about is Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar was the famous um, Colombian drug lord who rose to prominence in the 1980s. He was worth at that time over $30 billion. Then, when dollars was even more, you know, had more value then. And this was someone who came from the streets, living in the ghetto, who was disrespected, treated anyhow, this and that. Of course, the desire for people to respect him drove him into the drug business. And guess what? He had respect. He had love. He built hospitals. He built schools. Even though he was a criminal and a killer, people would still praise him and this and that. It got to a point where even all that was not enough. 
The man wanted to be respected by the by the by the oligarchy of the country, you know, the, the, the people in power. He wanted their respect and love. So he said, I want to run for president. And he tried to force his way into the Congress for them to respect him. And when he didn't get that respect in the Congress, all the love he had from the streets didn't matter because that pain has not been dealt with. He was hurt by the rejection of the people in Congress. And what did he do? He blew them up in, in, in a plane. You know, because the real issue has not been dealt with. He thought when he will have $100 million, he'll be fine. He wasn't. He thought when he has $500 million, he wasn't. He thought when he was $1 billion, he still wasn't. Because no matter how much one goes on the outside, the serpent is always shining. He'll tell you, hey, hey, this is, this is the answer here. Come, come here, come here. You think he's here. It's not. And other people keep on going on wild goose chase. See, Floyd Mayweather. I'm sure he thinks that oh, when he has $1 billion, that's when he'll have the light. I mean, think about it. From the first $100,000 he made, I'm sure the first $100,000 he made was like maybe a thousand times more than what he had in his account. If he didn't have happiness at $100,000, what, what makes him think he will have happiness at $1 billion? Do you guys get what I'm saying? That's how people are deceived by the shining of the serpent, you know, it shines. It lets you believe that this is light. This is, this, this is the way, this is liberation. This is freedom. It lets you believe that this is Christ, you know, because everyone deep down is looking for Christ. They just don't know what it looks like. Amalara asked the question. She said, isn't it a two-way street? The brokenness of one seeking adoration and the one who buries their brokenness in what is being offered to cover their soul. Maybe you can speak to elaborate on that. I didn't really get the question. Okay, sorry. So when, when we were discussing about um, how some people just do anything and everything to get adoration from some people, those people also who are in turn giving adoration or you know giving them like hype or something, they themselves are subscribing to what is being said because it is a means of a getaway or a means of like say escaping their own emptiness or their own brokenness as well and there really isn't anything tangible in the exchange that is being so your voice is not so clear can you hear me now it's a bit muffled ah it's better okay great so i was saying is it not two-way street in one that um, probably doing everything. Okay, I'm going to use this like in the social media age where mm. people will do anything and everything, the likes, the comments, the adoration, or like, oh, you're too funny and everything. And there are other people that just go to that content because that's just where they can maybe forget whatever issues that they're going with or whatever it is that they're actually looking for at that point in time. And nothing tangible has got has been exchanged there. They are still in this circle of brokenness and nothing is going on there's no exchange there does that make sense i don't know if that makes sense yes um so i'm not sure i very much understand if you can put the question in one sentence just one sentence so i can know exactly what you're saying so let me, okay what i want to try and ask is so that means everyone is looking for something the one who is looking for adoration and the one who's also offering that adoration up to someone 
Yes, uh, 100%. Everyone is looking for something because it's not only in giving that we're looking to. It's not only in, sometimes we feel empowered when we you know, praise someone because in that moment you feel like, ah, for me to praise you, it means I have something of value to give to you. And if I feel like I have something of value to give to you, it makes me valuable. And that's how you have some people who in the need to also deal with some kind of pain, they want to give, 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 give. Because in that moment they give, it makes them feel valuable. And that's why if you tell them no, they get so angry. Because if you tell them no, don't give me, you know, then you've robbed them of the opportunity to feel valuable. So they have to fight you to give you that thing. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Huh? You know yes, what I was saying? Uh -huh. yes. And, and that's, how it, that's how it works on, on, on the flip side. You know? So it's not only, it's not, so let's just say, is it a therapy session? <laughs> well, it might be. <laughs> you know? Because in our giving to, where, because you see, it's written that it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's just the truth. Because for you to give, you have to have something, you know? And in the moment when you are giving someone help, assistance, it gives a kind of pleasure. This is the truth. Where someone calls you, you know, they have some kind of trouble and you have the capacity to help them and you help them and you say, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. It's, 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 it makes you feel valuable. Do you get what I'm saying? And that can get very addictive very addictive that you begin to define yourself from the standpoint of, oh, I'm, I'm a giver, I'm a giver, I'm a giver. I don't receive. It's, it's because it's, it's, it's not as simple as, you know, as um, one looks at it, you know, because sometimes we don't want to receive because we don't want, because we feel like when we receive something, it makes me feel less than you. It's not always the case, but sometimes. You know, sometimes we don't want to receive because maybe we have, there's this tendon, there's this, um, there's this, um, wow, this is getting too much into therapy, man. <laughs> We're supposed to be talking about, oh my God. Anyway, it's just good to go with the flow, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we, don't we don't like to receive from people. It could be two things. One, it could be that receiving from you makes me feel like I'm needy. And I don't like to feel needy. I don't like to feel like I'm a burden to anyone. I don't like to feel like pride, exactly faithful, pride. You know, it's pride. So we say, no, I don't want anything from you. Don't give me anything. Not because you don't need it but we don't want to feel like we're someone who is needy. And not because there's anything wrong with it, but maybe when we look back in our life, the way people have treated us, every time we were in need, we were disrespected. So actually the problem is not people giving us things. The problem is the disrespect we experienced in times when we were on the receiving end. And that feeling we had when we were disrespected, we don't like it. So that feeling creates a kind of PTSD in our hearts. When we, you know, 
remember. And it's not, sometimes it's not a conscious remembrance. It's a subconscious remembrance. You know, it's not as if we're every day actively remembering, oh, I needed help, no one came from, you know. It's a subconscious thing. It's not something we actively try to do. It just happens automatically without us even knowing. Because maybe somewhere in the past, maybe growing up, every time we ask mommy to get us something, mommy will shout at us, say, what's wrong with you? Can't you do this? Maybe that will say, no, 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 you know? You know? Or maybe every time we ask, people just treated us bad, disrespect us, told us, oh my God, look at you. Now to only collect, 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 you know how to do. You, what, you know? And that pain we felt in that moment, subconsciously, we attached it with receiving. So the problem is not receiving. The problem is the pain we felt when we were disrespected. Now, in our subconscious, we attach it to receive. So in our mind, when we hear receive, what we're really hearing is disrespect. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? I'm just trying to tell you how the mind works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Huh? Yes. So, yeah. aha, aha. so it's not it's just like some, some of us, you know, we've, who've had, some of us, if we've had bad friends, you know, and, you know, people have betrayed us, lied against us, cheated us. When we hear the word friend, most people, they hear, because when we say words, right, words are nothing unless they are attached to some kind of reality. When I say stone, the reason why stone means something to you is because in your mind, you have attached that word stone to a particular physical element. True or false? Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. So when we say friend, if your experience of friend is people who have been kind, who have been present, who have been loving, who always showed up on important dates. They never missed your birthday. When you cried, they were there for you. When you hear friend, it makes you feel good inside because in your mind, you have attached the word friend to all those good things. But if your experience of friend is people who have lied, who have betrayed you, who have hurt you, who have stolen from you, in a, ro in a room where you're sitting down beside someone, someone says friend, that person beside you is thinking, oh, wow, so lovely. But you're like, ah. <laughs> in, in that moment, you're already having stress because that word friend has just bad experience with it. The same it is with receiving. If our experience of being on the receiving end, you know, is just people treating us badly, you know, disrespect, hurt, people, you know, looking down on us, that's when we just hate to be on the receiving end. Not that we hate to receive, but we hate that disrespect that subconsciously we have attached with receiving. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh -huh. And that's what happens. So even if we say it's pride, you know, I'm just very careful to not just say pride because when we just say pride, it makes us feel, oh, I'm a bad person. But it's not always the case. Because pride itself is rooted in deep shame. Do you understand? You can't have pride if you don't have shame. That's why I always talk about how life is always dual in nature. For there to be pride, there has to be shame. Because a proud person, when they say, don't you talk to me like that, is because in that moment where you disrespected them, you have reminded them of a part of themselves they wish to forget. 
a part of themselves that they are ashamed of, they are afraid of, and they cannot allow you to remind them. So that's why they say, don't you talk to me like that. Eh? Is it me you're talking to? You understand? Because a part of them really believes that they are unworthy and they really deserve disrespect and they like to forget that part of themselves. So the moment you remind them through your actions that you are not worth anything, they lose their temper. But it's really fear. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's really fear. It's really shame. You know, they're afraid. Oh my God, these people are going to actually see that I'm not worth anything. <laughs> I, I must stop them. They can't see it. So I must shout, you know. You guys understand what I'm saying? Is it, is it, is it getting home? You know? It is. Yes, it is. Uh, you know. And that's why sometimes when someone says take, you know, <laughs> to those who say, not me laughing, doing this. <laughs> I'm laughing because I know tables are shaking right now. <laughs> you know, and um, when a person hears receive, all they are hearing is, ah, disrespect, shame, ah, no value, and they don't like any of those things. So they say, no, 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 don't give me. I don't need anything. No, 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 I don't want you take. I don't need, I'm fine. But deep in their heart, they really need that thing that you're giving to them. You know? So this is an advice. When we encounter people who you offer them something and they say, no, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. But you know they need it. The issue that's happening there is they need this thing from you, but they don't feel safe that if they take it, you won't hurt them after. So as opposed to forcing them to take what you're giving to them, as opposed to, try to trying to make them feel bad for not receiving from you, use your words or actions to let them know that they are safe. That's if you're a good person. <laughs> Because some of us, <laughs> you know, that's if you're a good person, I repeat, you know, <laughs> you know, when he said, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Oh, I don't want to burden you. Oh, I don't want to stress you. Oh, I don't, you know, there's some people, I mean, some of us, we've seen ourselves like that. Oh, don't worry, don't help me. I'm okay. No, 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 no. Don't help me. I don't, you know. What they're really saying is, help me, help me, help me, help me. But when you help me, don't disrespect me. When you help me, don't treat me bad after. When you help me, don't, don't look at me like I'm not worth anything because I got help from you. You guys understand me? You know, that's really what they're saying. That's because this emotional intelligence, being able to understand what someone is saying, even though they don't know how to say it, and responding to that thing that they're not even able to say. That's, that's emotional intelligence. I mean, look at Jesus Christ. He heard the words that they said, but he knew what was the heart behind the words. As opposed to responding to the words, he responded to the heart behind the words, and that's how he arrested them. Do you understand? when we listen to the heart behind something and respond to that heart, there, there must be a reaction, you know. 
you know. So you see someone saying, no, 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 don't help me out. Don't do this, don't do that. They're just saying, I don't feel safe. Please help me to feel safe. So I'm supposed to saying, what's wrong with you? Take diary. Tell them, hey, don't worry. Listen, I'm giving you from love. I actually love you. And I really want to see you taken care of. I want to see you smile. I want you to be happy. And if you take this thing, it will give me a great joy to just see the joy on your face. Listen, that you are taking this from me doesn't mean that you don't have worth. I value you. I'm giving you this from my heart. Take it. This is my heart. I love you. They can just, you just see tears will just come out. And you see how they will grab that thing so much. Because it's not that they didn't want that thing. They just wanted to feel safe. You know. And I know women, you've also, you, you, you experience this a lot. Because a lot of men who appear to you, they want to buy you this, they want to buy you that. But you know that this man, for lack of a better word, this man is a bastard. <laughs> Lol! <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm just saying, I'm just saying what happens in our minds. I'm just, I'm just putting Scam. words. Scam. <laughs> Scam. <laughs> you know? Scam. <laughs> you know? You know that. Hey, let's be, let's be seasoned with the Holy Spirit and everything. But anyway, well, we all know the words that we use. I'm just bringing it out so that we can really relate. You know, you say, ah, this man is a bastard. And because of that, because you had so much experience of men coming to us saying, take. But they're not really giving. They're trying to collect something from you. So it creates a deep sense of insecurity, especially when a man says, take. You know, and a lot of ladies go through this, you know, especially when God willing, they actually find a man that is actually good, quote unquote, that is actually trying to be nice to them by giving them things and is not trying to take anything in return. You know, what happens is that they now be with that particular man who probably is just trying to be nice and everything. And every time he says, take in that moment, they collect, they just lose composure. They lose their peace. And the next thing, maybe once they get angry or something, they say, you know, take your thing, take your thing, Jerry. Take this thing, Jerry. It's not how much, you know, take it. But I don't want Jerry, you know. It's not that they don't want it. They're just used to people disrespecting them when they're on the receiving end. And so long as they have something that it's from you, it makes them feel of less value. So when they say, take your thing back, take your thing back, it gives them a peace that they're looking for. It's not, it's, yeah, you can say it's pride, but it's, it's much deeper than that, you know? You know, because it's related with deep shame, deep hurt, and all these things. So they say, take, take, take your thing back, take, I don't want it again. But they really want it. <laughs> they, they really want it. But they're so used to people you know, giving them things and disrespect and hurt, you know, coming along with it, you know. So as people, these are things that we want to be sensitive about, especially in relating with people, especially men. You know, I don't know if there are many men here, you know, we're all going to have women, you know, and frankly speaking, if we're honest, this world is a world of predator and prey. You know, I was talking with my sister once, um, I was talking with my sister once and um, 
we're just talking about um, we're talking about um, how um, you know women get treated unfairly to men and it's a gender thing. But I told her, I said, hey, listen to me. The problem in the world is not gender. Women don't get disrespected because they are women, quote unquote. In this world we live in is a world of predator and prey. And if a person believes they are more powerful than you, in the kingdom of God, when you are more powerful than a person, you use that power to lift them up and empower them that they can also be where you are, to sit where you are. That's the kingdom of God. You use your power to lift others into power, that all of you might be co-heirs of the kingdom. But in the world, when a person feels they are more powerful than you, they use their power to keep you in that place of subservience so that you can feel some broken aspect of themselves. You know, when you say, good afternoon, sir, good afternoon, man, it feels them, it makes them feel powerful. So they prey on the weak. So it's not a gender thing. It's the carnal nature thing to prey on someone you believe is weaker than you. Because we say, okay, it's men and women. But if you look at, I've seen some women who have house girls who they believe are less than them and they brutalize them in the house. True or false? So true. True. Do you, true. you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, it's not a gender thing. It's people, what people do when they feel they have power. And we look at the world today, and physically speaking, men have more physical strength than women. And if you look at it, politically speaking, men have more power than women on the, on the, on the political and physical level. And because these men are of the carnal nature, not the Christ-like nature, they use that power to bully the ones who they consider to be weak. Because even men do it to themselves. In the Arab world where I used to stay, when they want to really deal with a man, you know, they want to show you that you are, you are, you are nothing. They will gather, they will tie him up, you know, and they will rip him. That's what they do in the Arab world. When they want to, you know, let a man know that, listen, you are my boy. They'll, they'll bundle him up and they'll rape him. What? They're not, I'm telling you, they're not gay. The person that raised him is not gay. You know, he'll probably take like Viagra or something. He's not gay, but he'll no, rape no, no, him. That, that person is definitely gay. What? <laughs> no, I'm telling you something. <laughs> this is what's... <laughs> yes, I'm telling you. <laughs> this world is evil. You have no idea. <laughs> you know, this world is very evil. It's It's evil. And this is it's not a gender thing. It's not a race thing. It's not race even. It's not even religion. It's just what people do when they feel like they have power over you. You know? So it's not race. It's not a white and black thing. It's a carnal nature thing. Because in the black race, people who feel they are better than the next black person, they treat them very bad. Are you guys understanding me? Do you understand? So it's not race. It's not gender. It's not culture. It's not even money is the carnal nature, you know, that always wants to bully something that is less than them, you know. So I'm saying all these things to help us to begin to be, begin to grow more emotional intelligence. And I said all these things for the men, the men that are here, you know, because I said all these things talking about the world with women and everything that we live in a world where women have really been oppressed 
This is unquestionable. Women have really been oppressed and women have a lot of PTSD, a lot of hurts. I'm not saying men are not hurts, you know, but most of the time when one begins a relationship with a woman, especially in this world, you know, if she's had a couple of boyfriends in her life, the chances of her being really wounded, hurt, having trust issues are very high. The chances of her not feeling safe when you say take is very high, you know. And these are the things that we have to be mindful of, especially with dealing with women. There is a lot of work that will go into it, especially just by reason of the way the world is, you know. And it's something to be mindful of. That emotional intelligence, you know. Most people who have been treated poorly when they were on the receiving end don't feel safe when they receive. And that's why they say, oh, you take your thing, I don't want, you know, buy, you know, but they really want it. But they just don't want disrespect. They just don't want hurts. They just don't want sorrows, you know. So something to be mindful of in dealing with people when it looks like, you know, they don't want to receive anything from you. It's not that they don't want it. They're just afraid that you're going to disrespect them. So as opposed to forcing them to take what you're giving, help them to feel safe. Because the problem is not what you're giving. The problem is their, their insecurity. And if you address the insecurity, you know, and addressing insecurity, not by saying you are insecure, but by doing things that will create a kind of sense of safety. It could be some words you say, it could be some things you do, you know. You see that that thing that you will have them do to receive from you, enjoy, it will happen. Men or women, you know, as a whole, you know. So someone asked a question. She asked, um, how about the person on the receiving end? How can the person deal with not feeling safe when receiving? So this brings us to the part of, you know, introspection, you know, where we start to understand our own selves. You have to know yourself. You have to know who you are. You have to start to understand your scars. That's why conversations like these, they are to serve as mirrors to get us to start to look in our, into ourselves. Because when you start to understand that I'm bruised, right? When someone touches your point of pain, you can catch yourself in that moment. Because when someone touches your point of pain, and you blow up, you're not blowing up because of what they said or did. Or you're not blowing up just because of what they said or did. You're blowing up because of all the other things that were done, including this one. Does that make sense? Huh? Yeah. yeah. Yes, oh, yes. Yeah. So your, your reaction is not to one event. Your reaction is to 100 events that have happened. But most people don't know this because they don't take time to introspect and reflect on themselves, on their childhood, on their past, on things that have happened. So when they blow up in this moment, they're like, ah, what's wrong? Why shouldn't I blow up like this? See what you said. But really, it's not what the person said that made you get upset like that. It's what the person said in addition to all the many things that were said in the past. Now, truth be told, your reaction to that one thing that was done and said was really excessive. 
truth be told, it was an excessive reaction. It was an exaggerated reaction because it was a combining of all the things that have happened to you in the past. And we have to know this as people. Even if you don't catch yourself in the moment you do it, catch yourself after and go and apologize or at least repent in your heart. Are you getting what I'm saying? Catch yourself and say, ah, the way I just reacted now, ah, that wasn't good. You know, I'm still talking about receiving then because someone asked, how can the person deal with not feeling safe when receiving? You have to, first of all, begin to look in yourself and reflect. Because when you know that you have an underlying insecurity, when you know that you have an insecurity, you don't feel safe when people give things to you. When you know that, you already expect yourself to react in fear when someone says take. So because you are expecting yourself to be afraid, in that moment, you can say be bold. And what that boldness will let you to do is to give the person in front of you a second glance. It's very possible that they might just be criminals as well, you see. But when you're always operating from fear, right, and you don't ever pause to actually look in front of you, who knows if this person might be a good person, but because you are afraid, you'll miss it. Does that make sense? Huh? It does. Mm -hmm. Let me tell us something about fear and paranoia. And maybe we can write it down. Let me try and make it concise so we can write it down. Something about fear and paranoia. The person who is paranoid will be the first to spot the bad person in the room. But the person who is paranoid will be the last to spot the good person in the room. Let me say it again. The person who is paranoid will be the first to spot the bad person in the room. But the person who is paranoid will be the last to spot the good person in the room. Do we understand that? Yes. Does it make sense to us? Yes. No? Yes. 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 Uh, you know. No, not really. Not really. Don't worry, I've expanded. Just but did you write it down? Yes. 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 Okay. So I'll, I'll unpack it now. To do it, so God bless you for what you said. You know, this what you just said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you because you actually just received the spirit of this discussion. Because on the surface, it looks as if we deviated from the animals in the garden. But you just you just picked that that's actually what we're talking about. To do it, so said, we must name these animals in our gardens. We must know our hearts. Perfect. That's exactly what is happening here. What we're discussing are the animals in our gardens that we must know, we must name. Because to name something is to have dominion over it. So this is what we're talking about right now. We're talking about the animals in the garden, the beasts of the field, and naming them, putting them under subjection and authority. If not, they will be the ones to give us names and to control us. We'll sit down. They'll tell us, hey, how can you listen to what that person just said? Hey, don't take that. You can't respond. And you see us, we'll get up with our stubbornness and we'll now go and talk. And we'll repeat the exact same thing that thing told us. 
Yeah, that means that we're the ones that are being named. <laughs> you know, we're falling for the whispers of the serpent. Because everything I'm talking about are how the serpent whispers, and we won't know. You know. So I said, the person who is paranoid will be the first to spot the bad person in the room. But the person who is paranoid will be the last to spot the good person in the room. When you have paranoia, when you have, you, you, you're not trusting of people, you're already expecting something bad, something to go wrong. So you're actively, you're actively looking for something wrong. Of course you'll find it. Is anyone in this life that doesn't, that doesn't have comma? You'll find it, of course. And of course, in your finding something bad, the person who is really, really bad, you will definitely see them because you're already looking for it. You understand? But you see, because you're just looking for bad people, because you're looking for someone, you're looking for people who are doing something wrong. When someone is doing something right, you won't see it because you're not looking for it. And it's possible that this person who is doing something right might have some, you know, some commas here and there, some rough edges that you don't know in like a year God will fix. But because, you know, You've had some experiences. Once a person smiles like this, ah, this person is a criminal. If this person smiles like that, I say, ah, no, 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 no. This one, ah, this guy, I, I know his type. <laughs> and that's how, who knows if that really was an angel, you know. But because we're just looking for something wrong, once we just see something that reminds us of a past experience, we just label them, say, ah, this one is not good. So when we're paranoid, we're oftentimes, in fact, we're most of the time going to find the bad person before everyone. And oftentimes, that's what we use as a justification. We say, hey, I told you, Shabi, I tell you, you know? And we use it to justify us always being negative, being cynical to everything around us. But here's the flip side. When good people actually come, we will miss it because we're always looking for something wrong. You're going to find it. Listen, if you're looking for something wrong, you'll find it because in every evil, there's good and in every good, there's evil. I want you to meditate intensely on the symbol of the yin and yang. It's a profound teaching. Meditate on it and begin to project it on different things in life. It will give you profound wisdom. Do you understand? That symbol of the yin and yang was brought out from the bosom of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter if it came from China. It's the Holy Spirit that brought, that brought out that symbol. It's the same thing that has been taught about in the Garden of Eden of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the yin and yang. These are we have to start to understand things, you know? There is no good, you won't find evil. There's no evil, you won't find good. If you are looking for it, you'll find it. Do you get what I'm telling you? So if you are looking for good in someone, you're going to find it. Even if the person is a murderer, how did those guys find goodness in Mary Magdalene? Huh? Or the criminal that was on the cross beside him? How did they find the goodness? If you're looking for good, you're going to find it. And if you're just looking for bad, you are going to find it. And this is just a fact. So if we walk around, always fearful of everyone, always fearful of everything, we're going to find something that will justify our fear, is a guarantee. And oftentimes, that's actually what serves as a deception to us, making us believe this is the way to live my life. Because, ah, it worked last time. Ah, should be, as I was afraid like that, it made me see, see, I'm that guy, <laughs> you know? So maybe this is where I should be every day. And that's how when something good actually comes along because of our very suspecting nature, our cynical nature, when the good thing comes, we just give it such a hard time and we frustrate it, you know, including God. Because as, we, as we're here, we who are frustrated God, we know. <laughs> 
we know. Let's just be real. <laughs> we are frustrated God's goodness. Even when God says, I love you, we start to have panic attack. We say, ah, how can he love me? What does he want to take from me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> real talk. <laughs> so how can you love me? What do you want? What do you need? What do you want to collect? You must want something in return. <laughs> yes, he wants something in return. He wants to see you become beautiful. That's what he wants. Of course, God wants something from you. Are you kidding? Who invests so much money without expecting a return? Of course, he wants something. He wants to see you unfold into the beautiful flower that you are. That's why he's working so much. So God has, God has his intent, you know, but his intent is good, but he wants something, but not what you think, you know. And that's how we project the same thing on God. But we have to first of all start by recognizing these animals in ourselves. You have to know the animals in your garden. You have to know it. So also God bless you. God bless you. I just love how you just said that, you know. Because even myself, I was wondering why I'm going this route. But as you said it, it even made me see, wow, this actually was going on. So just God bless you for just pointing that out. Naming the, the animals in the garden. Because that's exactly what we're talking about right now. You know. You have to name the animals in your garden. And you can't name something that you don't know. And what you don't know will always creep up on you and take advantage of you. Because you are unaware. You know. Because you are unaware of it. And these are things we need to start to meditate on. We have to start to reflect on. Because there are many things in our hearts, in ourselves, that we don't even know is present. And we need to start knowing it. You know? Because every single one of us are going to have different kinds of relationships. To do it so is very deep. We're already in psychology here. And this is already deep psychology, in case you haven't realized, you know. I know we're going to have some actual psychology sessions where we'll talk about a lot of things. But this is already psychology but we're going into, you know. Because we're all going to form relationships. And if we're not aware of the injuries we have sustained from the previous relationships we've had, we won't know when we start to destroy the present relationships that we've been given. You know, I'm saying all this in response to the question someone asked. She said, because I talked about how we should treat people who, you know, feel, who don't like to receive. So she asked, so what about the person who feels uncomfortable receiving? What do you say to them? And how does it apply to our relationship with God? So my response is, we need to first of all, start to take inventory of ourselves. Observation. You have to observe yourself. We're gonna have a full session on that. You know, it's not for this one, but we're gonna have a session on, on self-observation. This person, this, this thing this person just said, what kind of feeling did it evoke in my heart? How did I feel by what he or she said? Don't, inter don't try and say it's because of this. Don't justify the feeling. Don't, you know, don't um, give reason. Just take note of the feeling that came out when this person touched your shoulder. Because, for example, as a man, you know, I mean, I've met different ladies going out, and especially in ministry, you know, and I meet people. And in case you don't know me, I'm a hugger, you know. So if I see you, I'm like, ah, you know, like, 
I come with a big hug and everything. And I've observed, because let's say I enter a room and I'm hugging everyone one by one, especially with women. I, I see how some are very happy, but some are like, you know, and I understand. And because of that, I don't, I don't try to, you know, be intrusive. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because some will feel like, ah, you know, ah, is this guy trying to, you know, like Nigerians would say, tap current. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? And um, so I'll observe that some, when you try to hug them, they, they have this, you know, like, because who knows, who knows what has happened in the past, you know, and I can't be disrespectful to that, you know? So I can't say, hey, why won't you, you know, so these are those things to help one just, you know, navigate through life and stuff like that. You know, so we have to observe ourselves and take account of the different feelings that arise in our hearts. Oh, this person just touched my shoulder. How did that make me feel? You know, about three weeks ago, I was with, um, well, I'll call him a mentor of mine, you know, and it was a moment where I was sharing something vulnerable. And um, after I spoke, you know, like, for, like me personally, my father passed away when I was eight years old. That was a long time ago. So I pretty much grew up without a father figure. And I never really got that, you know, affection, you know, from an, a, a man. And, you know, that's, you know, I never really had that. And I remember after I, you know, said some things that day, you know, when I finished speaking, he just put his hand on my shoulder and just smiled and just, you know, said some things. And I, I, I just tears almost started coming out of my eyes. I just, I just felt like, you know, I felt, I felt seen, I felt protected, I felt loved. I, I just, I just saw, I just saw all kinds of, you know, feelings come out of my heart in that moment, just by someone touching my shoulder, you know, just a touch. It's as if just it touched my shoulder like this. And I just saw all kinds of, you know, feelings, you know, and some of us, someone can touch a shoulder like that, immediately we're afraid. Ah! This is, you know, like, we need to start taking into account the different feelings that arise inside of us from moment to moment. That will help us to start to understand ourselves. Later on, you can start to ask why. You can start to try and give a reason later on. But in the beginning, just first of all, take into account, how did I feel by what this person said? You know, I entered the room with my friend. Everyone complimented my friend, said, oh, your dress is so lovely. Oh my God, you have such a lovely smile. Oh my God, that's a nice purse. But maybe only one person complimented you, you know? How did you feel? Don't just bask in the feeling. For a moment, separate yourself from the feeling and look at the feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying to say to you? Do you understand? Yeah. Because when feelings arise, what we do, we identify with it and we make ourselves become that feeling. So maybe a feeling of anger comes inside of us. We make ourselves become that anger and we say, I am angry. But actually, there's a difference between you and that anger. And it's possible for you to separate yourself and actually observe that anger that is arising. And you can start, you can start seeing anger is coming out of you, you know. 
So in that moment when, you know, they're complimenting your friend, telling her all these lovely things, observe the feeling of envy that starts to arise, the feeling of jealousy. Let me tell you why it's good to observe it. Because when you know that envy has started to rise inside of you, maybe 10 minutes from then, the friend can say, hey, here's my cup. Can you help me bring a drink? She might say it in a very innocent way because, I mean, she's seen you going to the, to the counter, right, to get a drink. So she's just asking, hey, can you help me get a drink? But because 10 minutes earlier, envy arose in your heart, you know, as if, can you imagine, do they think she's better than me? Because you were already feeling that way. The moment that friend says, hey, help me get a drink, take this cup, in your mind, say, can you imagine, is she trying to disrespect me? So let me be a messenger. Please take your cup. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Who can testify that you've experienced something similar to this before? Me or me, me, me. <laughs> yes, I have. Or you can relate so much. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and these are realities that go on inside of our hearts that oftentimes we don't take note of. Because you see, if you were observing yourself when envy was arising, you know, and you could see, ah, I'm feeling envy. You have already identified that envy is present. So you're, 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 you know, you're on your guard. You, you, you're gonna see, because that envy that is arising is an animal in the garden, right? That is coming to bite. So you've already seen that the animal is around. So like the Bible said to Adam, Keep your garden, guard it. So now you have seen, ah, envy wants to bite. So now you are watching, where, is, does it, where, where does he want to, you know, bite from? So 10 minutes later, when she gives you that cup and the thing just comes to the bite saying, can you imagine this girl is disrespectful? She's condescending. You just catch it in that moment. And in that instant, you make a decision. I will take that cup. I will get her the drink and I will give it to her. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Most because you have filled the cup, let it overflow. You can do that too. <laughs> At least you gave her the drink, right? <sighs> you know, exactly, Naomi, with joy and love, even you know, because you have seen that there's something inside of you that is trying to inspire you to go to a different direction. Now, in, the moment, in that moment, it might look like it's something small. But when you study the Bible, right? Adam and Eve, they just ate an apple, and that apple represents whatever action it was, you know. It looks something so simple, and so, you know, it didn't look like a big deal. But when you look at the generation after them, Cain and Abel, Something that began as just a small disobedience began to manifest as murder, isn't it? So what looked like it was a small thing, when it started to grow, you started to see, oh my God, this is really a big deal. Men don't think like God. Men don't think like God. You see, God is the one that created his entire universe. And he understands that every single human being that is here on this call Every single one of us, we began as a microscopic fetus in the womb. Microscopic that the human eye can't see. 
And because he knows that that microscopic thing has the potential to become this large creature, God takes microscopic things very seriously. Human beings don't. It's not a thing is very big that we start to take it seriously. But God, from the moment a speck appears, woo, alarm is already blowing because he knows that that thing that is a speck has in itself the potential to become a whole planet. Every planet that we see began as a speck of dust. Do you not know? It began as a small speck of dust that can't be seen with the eye. Exactly, it's spicy. Seeds. A seed looks like it's small and insignificant. But you put it in the soil, that thing that looks so insignificant turns to a mighty tree. Not only that, it turns to a mighty tree that brings out fruits that have seeds inside of them. So one seed produces a tree that in one year produces 100 fruits. <laughs> right? By the time the monkey comes, eats the, the fruits. And because the, uh, the, 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 the stomach of the monkey cannot digest the seed, it moves to another location, it defecates it, the seed enters into the soil. Now, those, that tree that produces 100 fruits leads to the production of 100 trees. Each one of them, now multiply, multiply, multiply. All that became from one seed. Now, you see why God takes the little thing seriously. Seriously, because he knows that every forest began as a seed. You know? So when you see that small envy arising, see, can you imagine? They complimented her. They didn't compliment me. So it doesn't mean that I'm not good enough. When you allow yourself brood on that thing that looks insignificant, you start to see how it begins to create a narrative. You will not even know. Two, three years, a lot of mindsets and ideologies that we have today that are very strong and bold in our minds, they began as a small seed. I mean, those of us here that are following God, didn't it begin from one day when we made a decision? In that moment, was it not something very simple? But yet, look at what has started to grow. Same with evil as well. You know, it starts out very small, seemingly insignificant. Something that you say, let me not pay so much attention to this. Or you see, that thing that you decided to ignore, you will know when that small snake will graduate into a dragon. This is why we have to be observant of ourselves. How are you feeling right now? Even as I'm talking, some of us, I'm sure in the pose of this conversation, maybe felt a bit offended. You know, how can he talk about me like this? You know, the, the, I don't think he explained this very well. I'm not a bad person for thinking like that now. Abby, who can confess that in the process of me talking about these things, we have felt like we felt like that? That is all, uh, you know? That, uh, but I'm not bad now. Aha. Do you understand? You know? These are realities. And we, we have to start to become people who are self-observant. That's the only way you can grow because you are, you, are, you are aware of not only what is happening around you, but what is happening within you. You are conscious of it. Because when you are conscious of what's happening within you, something can't catch you by surprise. You see, I've had moments when maybe someone said something earlier. Of course, hello, it's actually because of you I was saying it. I don't want to call your name. I knew it. That's why I didn't respond to what you said. Can you imagine? Yes, <laughs> It's because of you. So I was waiting for, if you didn't talk, I've called you. I said, hello, you won't talk. <laughs> 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 
So as long as I'm here, I'm observing everybody. Just look at it. I'm observing everybody. <laughs> Shadow wanting to collect again is pride. So I explained earlier that when we say pride, people just that's why I said if we don't say pride, it's be hard to understand because pride is always rooted in shame, you know. And I would say shame is the innocent part of pride where one doesn't like to be treated poorly, one doesn't want to be disrespected, one doesn't want to be looked down upon, one doesn't want to be abused, you know, because maybe that's how you've been treated before. So when we say pride, pride is like a mask to cover the part of you that you really believe doesn't have worth. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And when Christ looks at you, he doesn't see the nasty pride that he's always shouting this. He sees the part of you that just wants to be loved, you know? And he knows when he addresses that part, which is the real innocence, the part of you that is a dragon will disappear. But there's a dragon. Let's not get it twisted. (laughs) Are we no? Yeah. Uh There's a dragon because the pride hurts people. Times when we can say sorry, we don't say sorry. You know, times when we can just have helped someone like this, we don't help them. Because like, ah, you know, all the things, different things we tell ourselves. But all those negativity, all those venom is rooted in something very innocent that has been broken. And God sees that, you know. So yes, it's pride. But we must understand that pride has its roots in shame. It has its roots in fear. Fear of people not looking up to you anymore. You know, fear. When we are afraid of someone not looking up to you, that's not really what you're afraid of. You're afraid of people looking down on you. So when you're always trying to get people to look up to you, to look up to you, it's because you're afraid of people looking down on you. And the moment people start looking down on you, you have come face to face with your fear and you can't stand it. So inside of your, inside of your heart, you're like, oh my God, they're going to look down on me. They're going to treat me like this. That's what you're really feeling. But outside, you say, how dare you? Do you know who I am? Don't you talk to me like that. Do you, do you see what I just did here? I showed you the heart of something and I showed you how it manifests. Does that make sense? You know? So the heart, what is really happening in them, in the person is, oh, don't treat me like that now. Please don't be, don't, don't, please don't do that to me. You know, don't. that's what's in the, in the heart but it manifests in a very dark way. And you see all kind of insults, shouting and violence and all that. There is no lie that doesn't have its root in something that is true and pure. Fact. And the ability of the Christ, you know, is to see the root of all things, you know, the roots, the root, he sees the root. He said, I have come to, to lay the ax to the root. The root, he sees the root, not the branches. He sees the root of everything. That's why he looked at the woman with the widow's might. You know, one coin. And he looked at all those people that brought bags of money. He said, that woman gave more than all of you. Because he saw the root. Where that one coin came from was from a far deeper place of love and generosity than those people who just give a little bit of the plenty that they had. 
Because some people, money is not what's valuable to them. Facts. They would rather give you money than give you their time. It's true. That wife, some men who have made money, they will give their wife the nice car, nice this, nice that, but they don't, they're not present. What they're really giving to you is what is not valuable to them because they have a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of time. The real thing that's valuable, they won't give to you. Parents too. Oh, they'll buy all the things for their kids, buy them the clothes, buy them these, put food. But that time, that is the real commodity that is scarce, they won't give it to their children. They leave it to house girls and all these things. This is life. So the fact that you're giving something doesn't mean it's of value. And Christ knows it, you know. So some of us, you might think, oh, because I, I sow the biggest money into the ministry, I do this and that, so it means that uh, I'm such a generous person. Probably that's not what is valuable to you. And some of us, money is probably what is valuable to you, you know, but you give your time, but actually what's valuable is your money and God is seeing you. That's just life, you know. So Christ always sees the root of everything. And that's what he addresses, you know. Because when you address the root of something, that's when you can actually deal with it. That's when you can actually solve the problem. So a person who is very nasty, always telling you, kneel down, this and that, they're just afraid of people looking down on them. I'll tell you a story. I'll be sure to tell the story. <laughs> but she does go into back to the Bible stuff. <laughs> All right. All right. So I once worked with a person once, it was like, like maybe like two years ago, you know, it was like an internship, you know, like an internship job I did. Um, and I met this person, you know, he was a very nice man, you know, very nice man, very kind man. I remember the first time I met him, I went to his office, I sat down at the reception waiting for him, you know, and he walked in. He said, oh, hi, you're the one. I said, yes. And I was sitting down. He said, won't you stand up and greet me? Ooh. I said, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I stood up and I said, oh, hi, good afternoon, you know. And then he now proceeded to give me a hug as a greeting, you know. And then um, um, when he gave me the hug, I realized that that hug he gave to me was the real him. But that stand up and greet me was a persona he developed so people wouldn't disrespect the real him. Do you understand? Huh? Yes. Yes, yes, we do. You understand what I'm saying? And all throughout my time there, I was watching him. He will always switch, you know, as we're acting. He's very friendly, this. Yes, he will switch to... Go and get this. Go on, you know, go on, you know. <laughs> and I would just laugh because I could see, you know, right through everything. And as opposed to me having my pride being hurt, which it was, because in my mind, I'm like, who does this guy think he is? Is it because I'm just even, you know? It was, also a, it was also a lesson of humility for me, you know? Because like Paul said, with the abundance of uh, quote-unquote revelation and all these things, you can start making you feel like nobody can talk to you and all this crap. I've definitely been there to different degrees. I still see how I'm still there and God helps you every day, you know, but at that time I was, um, I was, it was shocking because I, it's been a long time since someone ever talked to me like that. And I was like, my goodness, wow, 
why do you talk like this, you know? But he helped me see my pride and he helped me to start to understand him as a person. I was only there for about a month. But by the time I left, <laughs> me and he were almost like best friends. <laughs> you know, if I the people in his office that were there before me, a lot of them were angry. So I knew they had some kind of envy towards me because it looked as if, you know, this person took some kind of favoritism and stuff like that and stuff like that, you know. I mean, for different reasons. At the end of the day, I mean, anyway, I'm not going to all that. But um, when I realized that he was actually a kind-hearted person and a nice person who was used to people taking advantage of him, I made sure I let him know that even if he was nice, he won't get disrespected. Because when you start to get nice to people, maybe they can push you to say, shut up your mouth. You know, they start, have you noticed people just start to do things that are disrespectful when they feel like you've been friendly? You, you don't see how they don't say one thing. You, have you seen that before? You know? A family like that. Yeah, that familiarity breeds contempt. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, so I, I was very careful that I didn't do that because that was his fear that someone would trample upon me again just because I'm me. So let me be nasty. So in the first few days, almost a week, it was just pretty much nastiness. Say, Sit down, don't do it. just funny stuff. That it was, it was a humbling experience for me. You know, I would take my shoe gun. <laughs> I thank God because... Yeah, when he said take my shoe, you know, he didn't need me to take his shoe, you know. I mean, sitting down, I mean, when we sat down to converse for the first time, I mean, I didn't look like someone who um, was struggling. I didn't speak like someone who um, was not uneducated. And of course, uh, naturally, there's always a confidence. So I, I spoke to him like someone who I don't feel like I don't have any kind of worth you know, and a part of him probably felt that this kind of person will feel like, oh, I'm better than you or some funny stuff. So because of that, he was deliberately trying to do things to kind of humiliate me. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh -huh. So when he says, take this shoe, go and hang this thing, you know, he, he was trying to tell me, listen, I'm a boss. You better, you know, but I understood that he was just coming from his place of fear because he was actually a gentle and nice guy. He was actually a very kind-hearted person. He just didn't like to be disrespected. And when I didn't disrespect him, when I didn't, you know, next thing, a few days later, just opened up, you know, you know, before I knew it, I was like his therapist. <laughs> you know, just always open up. Let's cry, telling me life. I'll give advice. You know? <laughs> That's how we became friends. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and um, that was only there for a short time. You know, but it was it was a lovely experience. It was a lovely learning experience for me. You know, because his own workers that were there before were rude. They were. I mean, let's not, let me not, let me not say that because everything has two sides of the story. Anyway, that's besides the point. The moral of the story is that. I, I perceived that he was actually a kind person. You know, he was a good person. But because that goodness had been wounded by so many people, he created a defense mechanism. Exactly, Omolara. He created a defense mechanism to protect him from people hurting that soft 
and vulnerable side of him, you know, and um, many people became victims of it because they didn't understand where it was coming from, you know. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit had granted me wisdom. And you see, I brought this up. I'm bringing this up to help us because you see, the wisdom of God is profitable to direct. It helps us in the workplace. It helps us in our relationship. It helps us with different people because when there's wisdom, you operate. You, you, the things that you see that other people can't see, and by virtue of your sight, you do things differently. You know, and it creates openings for you where most people are shot. You know. And mindfulness, awareness of people, of yourself, it's so pivotal in any, to be successful in life in general, not just in whatever field of work you have, you're you in, but also with people. Not saying that I'm, you know, I, you know, I, I, uh, I have it all figured out and I, oh, I have the word wisdom in the world, you know. But there are times where God gave me insight to people and he helped create a kind of bond that people who didn't have that, um, quote unquote, they have the Holy Spirit. They couldn't create that kind of bond with the person. They couldn't open, get into their heart like that, you know? So these are the things we need to not just see in other people, but also see in ourselves. Why did I just shout at this person like this? Was it necessary? Did I need to be rude? Did I need to speak to them that way? Why did I speak to them that way, you know? And you have to observe when it begins. You know, you enter into an Uber. You say, hi, good afternoon. The person is rude. He doesn't respond. Already, something has happened inside of you, right? Can you imagine? This Uber driver, I even, me, that I even greeted him, he's not even saying greeting back. There is already a feeling happening that you probably ignored, you know? But you can ask him, hey, can you please turn off the radio? And he doesn't turn it off. He reduces a little bit. Something is already happening inside of you that you don't know. You know, an animal in your garden that started to come out, you know. There may be something might just happen. It might just say one word. Next thing you are shouting at the top of your voice. Come on, you know. I mean, have you not seen this before? Even if you've not done it, have you not seen someone do it before, you know? Because there was no observation of what was going on in your heart, you were caught unawares. And you did something that surprised you. Even lust is like this. Lust doesn't just appear from nowhere. No, it takes its time. It starts at a simple thought. Hey, you, we all know ourselves. We know when we're talking to someone and the conversation has taken a different turn. We know. Am I lying? We know. Abby? Huh? We know. Respond, you know. Uh-huh. We know. Even though forget about phone, even while sitting down with someone in front of us, we know that moment of silence where me and this girl were silent because in our minds, we're just imagining fondling ourselves. We know when it has happened. We know, but we are quiet, you know. And we just try to pretend like that's not what's going on. We just laugh. <laughs> Next thing you just push this one like that. This one just push, hey, before you know it, bam. <laughs> Stories that touch. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> I should be having this much fun. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you know, and these are realities that we have to be mindful of. 
Because you're talking with this person, you know when that feeling has just landed, boom. You know, it does, it does, that loss just comes like, boom, very quietly, but you know it. You know it has appeared. You, you, you know it, you know? That moment it comes, you must be aware that it's here. And you must be aware that if it's here, it's going to find a way to express itself through you. You have to be mindful. And if it's to get up from that place and leave, if it's to just say that, hey, or more, hmm, you know, to just make the, you know, just put it in front so that everyone is now, no one can pretend like we don't know what's happening. Just say it, you know, even if it's awkward, say, ah, ah, I'm all, hmm, let's be careful now because I think that, uh, you know, this place is going to, you know, catch it in, 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 nip it in the bud, you know, so that we're not always caught, you know, unawares. And we don't end up doing things that surprise us. Like, oh my God, I don't even know how it happened. There was a pattern to it. Yeah, it went from one stage to another. It didn't just happen, you know? And I'm just saying all these things to help us, to give us tools that will help us to reflect. Because this is how the serpent whispers. He, like I said, it's always through our desire. So he knows, he, he, like I said, the serpent works with the desires of a person. He understands where your heart is. He knows it. And it's what it reflects in front of you, just whispers, saying, hey, 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 come and see this. Come and check this out. You know. And that's how we fall into a direction that we didn't expect. So the whole purpose of this conversation is to help us. And I've seen that that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about today. So the theology, I think we might push it again to the next session and really hammer on the theology, you know. But I really want us to understand, you know, the, the practicality of all these things and how these scriptures, you know, apply in our hearts. So if you want to remember the entirety of this conversation, in essence, just remember, you must name the animals in your garden. Once you remember that phrase, all, the, all that we have talked about is attached to that phrase. And it will start to help you to process things, you know, in a different way, you know. So I have one question here. I think it's from Stephen. Stephen said, how does one heal from the shame that has now grown into pride, especially those who had to experience it from their childhood? I mean, at the end of the day, every, every single... Um, situation is unique and each unique situation has to be dealt with uniquely there is no one cut cloth for all things you know but shame that has morphed into pride you know to deal with it like i said the first thing is the identification of its presence because most people who manifest pride, they really believe it to be light. True or false? You know. True. When they tell you, can you imagine, I will never let this person, do you, can you, this, this, that riffraff, do you hear what she said? Eh, I put him in his place. I put me, a whole me. In the moment they are speaking like that, they really believe that what they are saying is a gospel. That is the truth. Do you understand? They really believe that if they don't do that, then they have done evil. So they believe that act that they have carried out is actually a good act. 
they have not seen it for what it is. They have not identified that animal and known this thing is evil. They still look at it like a kind of, let me not say the we, because you see, and it's something we need to learn in communication. And it's something my teacher taught me. He said, when you're talking with people, don't dissociate yourself and say, you people are bad. Say we are bad. Because don't, in saying that in your teaching, it also helps you to remain humble. And remember that you're also a work in progress. Apart from that, it also makes people not feel like they're, like they're castaways. So when you speak, especially with correction, include yourself. So say we more than me. So if you notice my writings a lot, have you noticed that? I always say we, we, we. Have you noticed? Have you, has anyone actually noticed that? <laughs> I noticed it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's intentional. It's not just, it's an intentional thing, you know. And it also helps people not feel like, you know, ah, I'm dirty. So when is we? Because people, that's human nature. You know, we feel more comfortable when we're not alone. Even if it's in rubbish we're doing, so long as people are involved, the hair, uh, the spotlight is not on holding me. <laughs> so we, is easier to accept than you are dirty. You are a filthy person, you know. <laughs> you know, exactly, Naomi, we need companions. <laughs> you know, so... So to Stephen, I'll say the first thing, we need to recognize it for what it is. Because when we recognize it for what it is, we will no longer feel good when we do it. Do you understand? Healing has started to happen when you no longer feel at peace doing certain things. Do you understand? You no longer feel at peace. Normally, you don't feel at peace until you have insulted a person. But you can get to the place where for the fact that you have insulted a person this way, you don't have peace until you have apologized. Because now you know that this is not good. And it comes from observing yourself. You know. When you start to observe the different feelings that happen in your heart, you know, you observe the processes that are going on. You know, you go to a restaurant and... Um, someone in front of you who quote unquote looks better dressed than you. And um, it seems as if the, the girl at the counter is making that person more of a priority over you. And because that person's outfit intimidates you in a kind of way, understand, you didn't, you didn't observe yourself when their outfit started making you feel less, right? So already there's that feeling as a reason instead of you of, ah, I'm less than this person. You didn't take note of it. So now who knows if the waiter, the, 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 the girl at the counter is just simply, you know, attending to someone that's in front of her. But because inside of you, that feeling of I'm less is arising. That feeling becomes a, a lens by which you observe what is going on in your environment. So that feeling becomes something that conditions your perception, right? So because you're feeling like, oh, this person's clothes are more expensive than my own. His perfume is better than my own. My God, I'm such a less person. When that lady treats him in in, in a certain type of way, you would take it as, wow. So because this person is dressed better, that's why she didn't attend to me. Then what happened? You now shout at her. But I've been here now. Why, didn't you, why, why is it this person you went to go and talk to first? 
I mean, haven't you seen this before? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? These are realities of life, you know? And when we are ignorant of all these things going on in our hearts, we just be doing things every day. We don't even understand the origin of it. And we can't even, we can't even allow God to help us to change because we don't even know what needs to be changed and why and where is the root. So you, all of a sudden, you're just not shouting at the girl at the counter. Oh, yeah, no, no. Can you imagine? You're so, you know? But really, what's going on is that that person's outfit made you feel like you didn't have anything and you didn't like that feeling. So that's your despise for the feeling of being less, not translated into rage. But all this action that was going on in your mind, you didn't take note of it. You understand? And then it turned into you being rude. This is how we can start to observe ourselves on a day-to-day, identifying the areas that are, quote-unquote, broken. Like said, even though we've gone a bit into psychology and therapy, it's not really a psychology session, so we're not really taking real case studies. We're just using, we're just trying to, you know, expand a particular scripture in the Bible and show us it in a show it to us in a you know psychological sense. You know, but I believe at a later time we'll really delve into a lot of different kinds of issues and um, how one can approach them and identify with them, you know. But one thing is for sure, change only happens when an action is carried out. For there to be change, there has to be some kind of action. Whatever kind of mindset we have today is a product of the different acts that we have carried out. Because when you act, when you do something, it creates a pattern in your mind. It creates a behavioral pattern. So for a behavioral pattern to change, you have to what? I'm asking. Change the action. Act act differently. Exactly. Change the action. You have to act differently. But you can't act differently if you don't, first of all, know what is wrong. You know? And this is where that place of self-observation comes in. An awareness of yourself. That's the beginning. It's not the end, but it's the beginning. When you start to know what is hurt, what is broken, what is wounded. So you can even know what to pray about. And you can even know what to ask for help about. Because truth be told, there's some things in our heart that we can't solve on our own. We actually need to talk to a counselor. We need to talk to someone who is a real a good therapist. Not these you know, funny ones who just don't have an understanding of God, but ones who actually understand the Holy Spirit and how it connects with psychology. You know. So you say, hey... I need counseling for this. I've realized that, man, my wife is a good woman, you know? But I've, I've realized that I'm actually very insecure, you know, because every time she comes back home, she's always talking about her boss, her boss, her boss, her boss, her boss, you know, and how the boss just gave her a raise. And every time she says it, it, it just makes me feel less of a man, you know? So... I just started finding myself picking up fights at funny times when she didn't really do anything, you know, and I make it seem as if, do you guys get what I'm saying? Do you, do you believe that this really happens in real life? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. You understand? Uh-huh. This really happens. 
and vice versa. You know, it, this is what happens. But when we spend time observing ourselves and knowing that if Christ is the template of what a human being ought to be like, ought to look like, the love, the compassion, the forgiveness, the patience, the mercy, the judgment, when we fall short of that, we know that something is wrong. And that something needs to be addressed. And that's the mindset we as people have to have. Whenever I'm falling short of the standard, there's something that needs to be corrected. And we have to be honest about it. Because it's so easy to point at people, it's you, it caused this, but the truth is, when we look at the things that we're doing and how it is absolutely ungodly, we have to first of all acknowledge something inside of me is broken to produce this. God, I need help. Starts as prayers. It starts as calling someone who you know can really offer some help to begin to give you advice and counsel to act differently, to respond differently, to behave differently. You know, because for change to happen within you, your actions have to change. And for your actions to change, you have to first of all know what you have been doing all along. Because sometimes you don't know what we're doing. You know, I was like, ah, why, what, what did I do? Sometimes some of us, we know ourselves, we are passively aggressive. We won't really say anything, but the way we do our face, the way we walk off, the way we hit this wall, we push this aside, we are, you understand? And then the person that is around us will not get upset. You're not saying, but why are you upset? What did I, did I say anything? Have we not seen this? Or have we not done this? Let's be honest. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Never sees a take it easy. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll calm down. <laughs> you know. So we do all those passive aggressive things, and they were surprised when someone is now angry at us. Oh, why won't they be angry at you? Didn't you know what you were doing? Well, sometimes you don't even know, you know. Because life is energetic in nature. So even if you don't say something, the energy you start to emanate is already disturbing someone around you, truth be told. Without you even saying anything, just the way you move your hand, there's already an energy that you're emanating and you have to be aware of that. You understand? You have, your first thing, you have to be aware of what you are doing right now. You have to be aware. And even right now, the Holy Spirit was brought into my heart. As men and women, we have to be aware when we're talking to the opposite sex and we're now inspiring their lust. We have to be aware of it. We have to know when to stop a particular flow of conversation because you know it's going the wrong way. You have to be aware. Do you guys get what I'm saying? You have to know that this thing that I just started talking about is now going towards something. It might not, it might not seem like a big deal because that's often how we disguise. You say, oh, it's not really a big deal what I said, but you know that that thing was going to create a chain reaction of lust in this person, you know, that will seduce them in a kind of way, you know? And I'll be honest, me as a person, I've been very careful. That's why sometimes I can even sound robotic, especially if I'm talking to a lady. It's just recently that the Holy Spirit has helped me to become, like now I can be, oh, hey, yeah, yeah, I love you and all this stuff and all that stuff. But before, I was very robotic because I came from a world of seduction, right? So I really knew how to really talk to a girl, what to say, how to make her laugh and giggle and say all this funny. So that was what I did naturally. You know, and I was very careful not to inspire all those things in women 
especially now that I'm working with God, you know. So in the beginning, I was always very, you know, very, you know. And even now, I can be talking with someone. I can, a girl can call. I'm talking to a person. I mean, because now look at Heaven's Gate now. <laughs> there are about 95% ladies and 5% men. <laughs> so I spend most time talking with women than with guys. That's just the truth of the matter. <laughs> you know. So when I had to learn, you know, how to really communicate. And I can know when a conversation is deviating. I arrest it immediately because I've been in that world. I know, just because I was quote unquote like a predator, I was looking for those kind of moments where there's that small pause. She can just give a small smile. I, I was always looking for it. So because I was looking for it, I knew when to find it then. I know when it appears now. And it might look like he's innocent. Maybe just, hey, what are you up to? I just, he can't, I, I know. Two people can ask me, what are you up to? I know one is innocent. I know one is not. I'll be on my line. You guys understand? No, 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 no. Let's be real. <laughs> You're laughing. <laughs> you understand? That's the truth. I know this one is an innocent one. This one. <laughs> so that one is not innocent. I might not even reply. I'll just give something cold because I know there is no innocence here. So these are things that, you know, so we need to be aware of ourselves, you know. Guys, too, you know, you, are, you know, you know that the way you're calling this girl every day, you know that this girl is starting to catch feelings. You know that you're calling her makes her feel like you're interested. You call her, you tell her this, you say, I love you and all these things. You know what this thing is doing in her mind. Then tomorrow now when she says, oh, you're my boyfriend, you start to say, ah, from where? Stop that. <laughs> Do you understand? Because everything you did, you knew what that was causing in her heart. You should have been the one to stop a step back. Don't don't play those games. Let's be real. We know I'm a guy who, so we're going to be real here, especially those of us that listen on the podcast. I'm talking to you guys. Let's be real. We we know we know it. Uh uh-uh. so stop just stringing people along and then when she now tries tries to hold you, you're not acting like you're surprised. Shut up your mouth. Surprise what? You knew what was going on. We better sit down there and let her <laughs> lock you down. <laughs> <laughs> and girls too you understand define things from the beginning and put just put it out there don't wait for you know don't just project meanings to people's actions sometimes because everyone is different you know Everyone is different. Don't just be quick to project a meaning on the person's action. That someone checked on you. Don't say, oh my God, all of a sudden this person is love. Don't just be quick to conclude, you know, because that's how, you know, you just get in trouble because it's very possible that maybe the guy was just being nice. There are people that are like that. They're just very nice. They're very friendly. They're very caring. That's just their personality. You understand? Now, he doesn't know that he was doing anything wrong. But in your mind, this guy has already, in fact, in your mind, not only has he told you he likes you, he has also bought you a ring and said you are the one. So your mind, you are not talking to a guy that is just chatting you up. You're talking to your husband in potential. <laughs> so if this guy happens to be talking to another girl, you, you just get angry. You know, you start to say, what, what, what were you talking to her? You know, or maybe because he has not yet get, told you anything definite because you know you can't say why you're talking to her because you don't yet have the right. 
you just start to give him a funny attitude. When he calls you, you just give an attitude. You know, the reason you are giving an attitude is because of that girl you saw him talking to, but because he has not yet given you anything definite about the relationship, you can't tell him the real reason why you are giving the attitude. So you just give him attitude and just flog him for no for, for nothing. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. <laughs> Am I lying? And this is not the things that happen. Come on. <laughs> Lamaka <laughs> said these are mysteries. <laughs> I'm tired of you guys. <laughs> oh. oh my god. <laughs> oh <laughs> you know, this is just the truth, you know. And we just see, we have to just be real with each other. You know, we, we, as people, we just have to be real and be honest, you know. And it still comes down to this thing of just self-observation, awareness, you know, you know, being aware of what we're doing, what we're saying, how we're feeling, what, what you know, what, what, is, what is causing us to do, you know. We have to be real, you know. We have to observe ourselves because when we start to understand how our mind works, how it, you know, what goes on inside of us, we're no longer caught on our wares, you know? We're no longer surprised when we act like this, you know, we can catch ourselves in the action. You know, we, we, can, we can heal from a lot of things, you know? So that's the heart of everything we're talking about now. That observation, being watchful over your garden, knowing everything that is inside and the things that don't look like God, begin to work with God to transform them and name them. That's the mystery of Daniel in the lion's den. Do you understand? He was put into a pit with wild beasts. And when the king came, he saw that all of them had their mouth shut. That is a symbol telling you of a person who has achieved dominion within himself. When he was put in the pit, that pit is representative of the darkest, ugliest, and sinful aspect of himself. Even in that place, he had dominion. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? He had dominion even in hell. That's what it means. In the hell of himself, in his insecurities, in his pride, in his lust, he had dominion. And all those beasts were subservient to him. It's the same meaning of Jesus Christ going down into hell to collect the key from Hades. It's the same thing with Daniel and the lions there. That's the naming of the animals there. Dominion, you have put them under subjection. They can't control you anymore. You understand? That's what it is. And Nebuchadnezzar in that place was a symbol of Satan pushing him into temptation. And him having dominion over the lions was a victory over that temptation. And what happened next? He became a king upon the throne. It's the same story with Joseph. Same thing. You just see the same narratives. The same thing. You know? It's the same thing with Jesus Christ in the wilderness of 40 days. Those were the animals he was facing too. He had to face his animals. And when he came out, he came out in power and majesty. The same story. Same Thing being taught, we also have to descend into that pit of Daniel and seal the mouth of the lions. Because right now they're not sealed, though. <laughs> Some of us, as even there, so the lion is in <laughs> You know? <laughs> and this is the work of the believer you know, putting all these things under dominion of the power of God. That is what it means to be a son. 
That is what it means to be a child of God. That is what it means to be a true Adam. Remember, let us make man in our image and let him have dominion over all that I mean. Dominion, control, power. Because God is a king and God is, he said, he said, the earth is the laws and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. He's seated in the heavens and the earth is his footstool. Dominion, power, control. So if that's who our father is, we as the children also ought to be that way. You know? So when God causes us to see the animals that are in our garden, you know, is to present us with an opportunity to put it under dominion. Now, that is where the ministry of the serpent now comes in. And in our next session, we shall now really dig deep in the theology of all that was discussed today and open it up in scripture. Because like I said, this was just, uh, you know, we made it very practical, you know, but we enter into the theology and you see how, because of the understanding of this practical aspect, the theology will just, you see how you just grab everything like this, like this, like this, like this, like this, by the grace of God. So, thanks be to God. That brings us to the end of today's session. I hope we've learned something new today. I hope we've learned something useful. You know, and um, yes, now will be the point where, you know, we can take some questions and um, yeah, who's going to go first? Okay, Joy. Joy hands, Joy's hands is raised. Joy, go ahead. Um, Hello. Uh, <laughs> hi. Um, so one thing that I kind of noticed through our conversation today was um, a lot about desire or like um, identifying, um, I guess, like, I guess the animals or calling the animals, but also um, I just kind of thought a lot about um, desire underlying that. Um, my question is more so to do with, I think you kind of expanded more on desire that is rooted in um, something that is not um, pure or something that is not like, um, yeah, like say greed or envy or something like that. But are you able to just expand a bit on like um, naming the animals in the, gar um, in the garden that are, I guess, pure or not rooted in something that's, I guess, evil, if that makes sense? Fundamentally, I mean, the truth is, every single desire that we have is rooted in something pure, period. Every single desire that we have is rooted in something pure. But like all things, when they are used in a way they are not meant to be used, that's when they become impure. God gave every single one of us the libido. He made us attracted to the opposite sex. God created us like this, you see. And as a man, the, the desire for a woman is natural. It's, even, it's, it's, it's expedient for, as you, for you as a person and also for the continuity of, of, of creation. It's important that the libido is present, that you are sexually attracted to the opposite sex. It's important. It, it has to be there. The problem is when that desire now takes control over you 
and leads you to do things that are harmful, not only to yourself, but to those around you. So for example, as a guy or a girl, I'll talk about a guy, I'll talk about a girl. A guy, you see this lady, her skin is just nice, you know, it's the color that you like, whether it's chocolate, whether it's vanilla, whatever, you know, just what you like, you know, her hips are the way you like it, you know, her breasts are the way you like it, and like, my God, I need this girl, oh my God, I will die if I don't get this girl. And then you're lost to just really, just, you know, copulate with her. It makes you not even see her at all. All you see is your lust and what you want to achieve. And you don't care what it takes to just have sex with her and satisfy yourself. You do it. Whether you lie, whether you deceive her, whether you, 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 you make promises you're not going to keep, whatever, you don't care. You're just going to say what you need to say in order to get that stuff. That's when it becomes evil. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hmm? Yeah. Uh -huh. As a woman too, you know, you also like this guy as well. You know, you, you, you like him. You know, he looks cute, you know. Plus, you know, all the girls like him. So that makes you feel like if he pays attention to me, you know, above all the other girls, that makes me feel like I'm better than everyone. You know, so you want to feel that, you know, I'm, because maybe you, people don't treat you like you're valuable. So you feel like, ah, this guy that likes all that all the girls like, if he likes me, it means that I'm better than all those girls, you know? Exactly to do it. So you now become the snake in someone else's garden. Exactly. Exactly. God bless you. You know, you now become the snake in that guy's garden. You want to, you don't want him. You want to feel like you're better than all those girls. So because of that, you do whatever it takes to get him to want you. Am I lying? Don't you, I want you saying that, you know. So it's not really him that you like because when you start to get to know him, oh my God, this guy is not even funny. Oh my God, this guy doesn't like Jesus Christ or he doesn't like this movie. Or you, you actually, because when you start to see him, you don't like him, you know. What you like is that idea of people looking up to you because he likes you and then you're not a an object of envy for everyone, you know? These are the things that we do, you know? So that is when the desire for the opposite sex, the, 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 the desire that God put inside of us starts to go the wrong way, starts to become perverted. Look at the animals in the garden as just your different desires. Just look at it like that, Your different, the different desires that you have. All of them are their roots, there's goodness to it. You need to feed your family. You need to eat food. You need to have friends, you know. You need to have a spouse. You need children. Do you understand? These are, these are things that God has put that are good. And you have to name all of them, okay, I have desire for this, I have desire, you know. But when they begin to grow, and move in a way that is outside of their original design. That is when a problem starts to happen. I'm not saying this so that we don't look at desires as bad things, they're not. But when the desires go out of our control, that is when they become bad. Do you understand? It's good to have children. It's good. It's important. 
You understand? But if you want to have children because you feel like you're a failure at 33, then your reason for children is not good. Because you're going to put burden on that child that they don't have the capacity to carry. And that feeling good that you want, if they don't give it to you, you start to punish the child. I mean, am I lying? Haven't you seen this in life? You know? Some of us even start relationships this way. We want this person to make me feel good. Oh, you must make me feel good. And you put a burden upon that person that they can't carry. And when that feel good doesn't come, you call that person all manners of names and this and that. Oh, you're bad, you're this and that. That relationship was started for the wrong reason. So when we talk about the animals in the garden, it speaks of the different desires that we have. And we have to know all of them. So naming something is you knowing it. Whether it's the desire in a good place or it's a desire that has started to gravitate into something negative, you have to know it. And you have to have dominion over it. So the naming is not just knowing what it is, but having dominion. Do you understand? So yes, you have a, what's the word? Massive ambition to, you know, create big things and everything, but that is under your control. And that massive ambition, you know how to channel it in such a way that the Holy Spirit just moves through it, you know? And it produces something good and beautiful in your environment. Do you understand that, um, Joy? Yes. Does it make sense to you? Yes, it does. Okay, tell me what you understand. Um, I understand that... Um... And um, it's the desires um, that are outside of my control that are the ones that are, um, yeah, that are like, you know, the predators or um, at risk of being like predators. Um, but then, um, yeah, and that, yeah, the naming the what's in the garden is, is being able to identify my desires, whether that's good or bad, and allowing yeah. the Holy Spirit to work in those desires um yeah for them to be yeah good yeah indeed because every single desire that you have the holy spirit can walk through everyone there's a, there's a story in the bible of the shrewd servant the one who was about to lose his job and he started to cancel out the debts of people that owed his master money you know and then um, Jesus Christ commended him saying that this person is wise. That that's, he commended the intelligence that made him able to do that act. He didn't commend the act. He commended the intelligence that made him do that act. For example, now, and I use the example a lot. Someone is a hacker. You hack into the FBI, hack into NSA, you know. It's a crime that you did. But that intelligence that can make you hack into FBI, hack into a person's bank account, even though you use it for crime, that intelligence can be channeled for something very good, you know, or you can help solve real problems in society, you know, and the FBI understands that. So when they catch you, instead of throwing you to jail and allowing those beautiful skills go to waste, they give you a job. Say, hey, okay, I've seen that you can do X, Y, Z. Okay, how about you, you know, work for us and you do this and do that, you know. So, um, same it is with the different desires and stuff that we have in our hearts, you know. God knows how to transform everything. 
and turn it into something beautiful, something holy, something pure. That's what God is about. He's about the transformation. Turning it into something that was once a caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly. It's the same creature. It's just the same creature in two different manifestations, you know. And that's how every part of ourselves can be redeemed and be transformed and turned into something good. That's why people who have done so many bad things in life, you find out that when they turn to God, that same zeal, that same drive they had, they put it for the kingdom and they achieve mighty things. It's the same thing. But it first of all begins by you knowing what is within yourself. You know, self-awareness, so important, so important in every aspect of life, you know. But yeah, like I said, these are, these are things that we would go into more as we go forward, you know, by the grace of God. So, um, so yeah, um, Labake, please go ahead. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just, <laughs> a nice confirmation for this meeting. Um, I was in a deep slumber. I did not know our meeting was holding. And I think the Holy Spirit was also doing rounds messaging everybody in here <laughs> so i had a dream <laughs> where you were literally teaching us about um lost and uh, i was i was being corrected so i had to go and correct myself because maybe that's something that i need to check in my relationship uh how to not inf- you know to to guide those desires so that you don't lead the other person you know astray even though you know where you are and stuff like that. Then secondly, I had a fight with somebody in the meeting and then you, everybody started, you asked everybody to start explaining and people were saying, oh, Labake was right. However, I, I, I re- reacted. So also second thing you thought was anger. And I just, I just woke up and I realized, oh, this meeting has been going on and the Lord was actually trying to get me to wake up and join wow, the meeting. Wow, wow. It was, um, it's just amazing. I just want to thank God for that, for heaven's gates. And then also, I just want to share this um, as well. Um, last week, somebody messaged me um, and said something very rude. And um, mm. I was like, oh, I'm a changed person, so I will not react. So I started to type. I said, thank you for this message. However, I must mention that your, your text to me, um, it is lacking of tact. <laughs> The Lord said that's not the one. I I started another message. Okay, thank you for this message. However, I must mention, I do not like the way you go about talking to me. The Lord said that's not the one. I deleted it. Oh my God, I was there. Now maybe this, now maybe this. See how this person talked to me. Do they know who I am? And then um, at the end, after struggling with this message for 30 minutes, I eventually typed, hmm, okay. And I sent it. And uh, I was now telling everybody, somebody insulted me. I, I replied with a good heart. I was, <laughs> I was, not, I began to commend myself. Anyway, just to be nestly, the Lord came, you know, the Lord was speaking to me. My heart said that that's, hmm, okay, you texted that person. What was the meaning of the hmm there? You know what that hmm meant? It meant, eh, I have so many things to say, but I not just say it to you. I just leave you. <laughs> And I just wanted to say, yes, when you were talking about that, um, you are not replying, but you do something, you know, you use your hand. And I think the Lord is highlighting that in my life today. And I think that's something I'm going to check. But it takes a lot. It takes a lot to not react. Um, even as we are growing, I, I began to see that it's as if everywhere I go, people just want me to vex these days. <laughs> it's everywhere. So, um, okay, that's something I'm going to think about. And um, 
is there any other way you know like apart from there's sometimes that it touches you actually so what what do you even do there's sometimes somebody's word will go deep should you run away even if you don't say anything sometimes it just stays in your heart sometimes they're very hurtful like and as we are growing it even starts to happen more and more and more as if the devil is setting you up everywhere I mean, every situation is different, you know. There can be a time when someone is really being mean and in that moment, you're in some kind of danger that you have to, you know, stand your ground in order to protect yourself. In that moment, it's important that you probably stand and say, hey, stop that, you know. But there are times when um, you're not really in danger, well, not physically anyway, you know, and you know you're very angry. And you know that if you speak right now or if you do anything right now, it's going to be very aggressive, very violent, very something you won't be so very proud of. In that moment, you can walk away, you know, and reflect on everything you felt, reflect on what they said that you didn't like, reflect on what you what that actually made you to feel. Because oftentimes we don't really communicate our feelings. We just tell people you are bad, you are this, you are that, but they can't really understand that. If you just tell someone you're bad, you're rude, you are, they can't really understand you. When you say, hey, you know, the way you spoke, I really felt so disrespected. You know, I felt like, I felt like you actually didn't, I felt like you didn't care about me. I felt like I was just left high and dry. You know, it made me feel like, you know, I'm not wanted, you know. That's actually the reality of your feelings, you know. And when we talk to people like that, not all the time, but they're more likely to hear us when we say the reality of our feelings than when we don't. The truth is some people, there are some people who are just predators. And the moment you say that, they all of a sudden, you know, start to prey on you, you know. So maybe after you've calmed down a little bit, when you know that your words are, you know, they're sprinkled with some Holy Spirit, <laughs> When you know that you can actually communicate without losing yourself, then you can go back and say, hey, actually, the way you spoke that time, I felt it was very unpleasant, you know, this, you know, and you talk, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not about never ever saying anything. How can you live through life without ever saying anything, you know? The question is how you say it and on to what end. Because if you're talking to someone, you don't want them to fight you, you know, you actually want them to hear you and change. But sometimes the way we approach people, the way we communicate makes it hard for them to hear us and for them to repent. True or false? True. You know, this is a question for everyone. True or false? True. You know? True. Uh -huh. And we really have to take that into account. The way I'm communicating now, will it make the person actually hear me? Because when we communicate, we really want to be heard. That's the truth. No matter how much you shout this, you are really wishing deep down, this person hears me. It is possible for us to take some responsibility for that as well. The way I'm speaking right now, will it be easy for them to actually hear what I'm saying? Can they you know, understand my heart? Can they feel where I am? And if you realize that the way you're communicating won't help that, then you need to change it. Not because you are bad or anything is bad, but you realize how you are going about this won't help you get the result you are really looking for. So that's why this approach needs to change because it does not even help your ministry. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So as an advice, like I said, every situation is different, 
You get what I'm saying? So the question you ask is very generalized, but every situation is different. But just in general response, like I'm, I say it's general so that you understand that this is not a law, it's just general. When you are very angry, sometimes take a, take a moment away and then you can come back and speak with a bit more control. Because in that moment when you are raging and this and that, you know, you're probably going to say things in a, in, in a way that is very offensive. And who knows, the person can be offended by it and then they themselves react in another way. Next, you create a cycle of you know, violence and all this, you know, things. And um, this happens a lot. So in having a Christ-like character, it's not about not speaking your mind. It's how you speak your mind, you know, and when to speak your mind. You know, and in what way to speak your mind, you know, remembering God in everything, you know, and also looking for the routes that will create peace between both parties, you know. So it's important we also speak for ourselves as people. So people think, okay, being a Christian means you never speak up for yourself. No, you need to speak up for yourself. It's important. We live in a world where people are predators. So you have to learn how to speak for yourself. The question is how and in what way and when. You know, there are times when truth be told, the way it is, you just have to be rough. <laughs> That's the truth. There are circumstances you find yourself, the only solution is just by roughing it. Let's be honest. You know, you can be in the street somewhere and someone is just maybe aggressive, violent. You can't just stand and let someone beat you up. You know, you have to say, hey, stop that. You even have to push them off you. You have to, you're not going to sit down and have someone hit a stick on your head. I mean, am I lying? Huh? You know, let's be practical. <laughs> Yeah, because sometimes when people preach the gospel, you make it sound impractical, like, well, you know, that, that's not how life is. You know, the time I come, you have to actually push someone off. You say, hey, stop that. You push them. As far as you're concerned, you're not trying to fight, but hey, you can defend yourself. You're not looking for violence, but you should be able to defend yourself when you need to, right? Facts. And let's not deceive ourselves. As a person, I would advise everyone, if you can, learn some kind of combat training. It's important. Not for you to go out looking for trouble, but so that you are, you're not so much of a prey that you always fall into temptation for, you know, bad things. Because if you have no capacity of defending yourself, when people always push you around, it leaves you very resentful, very hurtful because you can't defend yourself. Does that make sense? And that leads you to even creating more evil later. But when you have some kind of capacity to defend yourself in situations where you are, you know, put in uh, an uncomfortable position, that even just that mindset of you being able to at least defend yourself in a particular moment, it, it gives you a kind of peace, so to speak. It's very hard to explain. Like me personally, you know, I mean, I, I'm like six feet and I'm a bit built, even though I've lost, I've not really gone to the gym in like a year, but I still have a bit of a muscular build. Most times people don't look for my trouble. That's just the truth. That's just the truth. It's, people don't try and fight with me. It just, it doesn't happen. That's just the truth, you know. Plus, I know how to fight. Like, I've actually done boxing. I've done Muay Thai. I've done kickboxing. I can fight. So, that's just... So, that ability to fight... O'Shea Bruce Lee. Yes. <laughs> you know, I have a certain peace of mind if there's any kind of quarrel because I know that <laughs> if things go left, that that person is more likely to be in trouble than I would be. So, me knowing I'm able to really destroy someone, it makes me to be the pacifist. Does that make sense? So I'm usually looking for peace because I know that I can really cause problems. That's just the truth, you know? So it does a lot for the mind. 
when you know that you are able to speak up for yourself, stand for yourself, defend yourself, because when you feel like you can't, it creates, you know, that helplessness, that feeling of helplessness, it's, it can make you very bitter, very resentful. So even if you don't fight back in your mind, you are cursing them. You're probably scheming with some people to make people to hate them. You know, there are different things that we do, you know? So as a Christian, a Christian doesn't mean you can't speak up for yourself. You can, you should, you ought to, you know, when something is being done wrong, not just because it's you, but because a wrong thing is being done. Hey, that is a wrong thing to say. Excuse me, don't talk like that. You know, and you say it with authority. You, you realize that people, you know, there's a way you can talk. Excuse me, don't shout, don't raise it. Because once you raise your voice, they can see you've lost control and then they won't respect you. But when you assert yourself with, you know, you pick your words carefully, you know, you, you speak with that, excuse me, how you, that, that was wrong. You had no reason to speak that way. Was I rude to you? I wasn't. So you don't talk like that. You understand? I've been here for the past 20 minutes. There was no disrespect given to you. Why should you talk to me like that? I'm sorry, but that's wrong. Just wanted to put it out there. If you talk like that, do you understand? It's better than just shouting, God punish you this and that. There's a way that, you know, they can hear you out, you know, and you can really, you know, deal with that issue. So, like I said, these are, there are so many ways to go about it. It's not, there's no one, there's no one cut, cut for all, you know. But yeah, you can speak your mind, you know, you can correct someone after a wrongdoing. But when you're very angry, it's advisable, you step away a little bit, you know, and maybe come back after you're reflected. You've also seen the part of yourself that needs repentance, and then you can speak in a way that is seasoned, you know. I hope that helps you in some way, Labake. Thank you. Yes, it does. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. God bless you. Okay, my dear Marion talk to me thank you so much i like the idea that you put it in front because it was unexpected and i like it thank you <laughs> hey welcome. big bro how are you i'm all right okay so this is a bit of a personal question hmm. um so whew, okay um when does it become like you're making excuses for someone like I'm, i found myself in a situation where you know people do something and then, you know, there's a part of me that is angry, obviously. But then I start to, and I, I try to separate myself from the emotion and look at it objectively. Like, oh, if I was in this person's sh- shoes, or oh, no, like try to understand what they're going through, why they could have reacted like that, what made them do what they did to me. And, you know, I just, and then I just process it and move on. But one time, there was this time that something was done to me that really hurt me. And I was talking about it with a friend. And then they were like, um, they were saying, I I was talking about it with um, someone had done something that hurt me. I had moved past it. But um, and then I started to relate with that person again. And then a friend was like, is this not the person that did blah, 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 and blah to you? Why would you put yourself in that situation again? I'm like, and I'm like, I'm not putting myself in that situation i understand that they have the capacity to do this to me but um and i'm being careful about it but it won't stop me from you know relating with them when i need to that's that's like and then but but it it became a sort of problem where somebody was where the different side to say that i was people pleasing i was a people pleaser so um that's that's on one part second there's i have a huge tendency to to um, amplify the good in a person. 
over over like the beasts in their garden that I can see. Because truth be told, there, I don't think there's ever been a time when I did not see, see the tendency of a person to hurt me. But then there's a, there's a level that I get to that I just amplify the potentiality of good in them over the things that it can do that hurts. And it always comes back to bite me. It always does regularly. And even when it does, you know that thing you said about being stubborn in love? Yeah. yeah. I think I do it to a point where it has become kind of destructive. Because mm. it, it, it doesn't, the hurt doesn't stop. I'm just there getting hurt and more hurt and more hurt. But I'm still staying and being like, well, I'm understanding them. Or oh, this is something that I could possibly do to a person too. So I'm just, I'm just going to forgive and let go. But as I'm forgiving and let go, it's like more is being dumped on my spirit and dumped on my soul. To the point where it's becoming toxic. So I'm trying to be like, you know, the Naruto. Don't give up for anything. Always just stay there and fight, fight to the end. And, you know, what do you, where does it stop becoming love and it starts becoming pandering? Because I feel like I pander a lot at some, like sometimes. I just, you know, just, you know, I'm trying to apply all these, all these um, lessons to loving someone and to understanding them when sometimes I should just pick up my slippers and run. You get me? I get you. So, yeah. The truth is that sometimes, It's not so much about we wanting to love a person, but sometimes it's about us not really feeling that we're worthy of love, you know, and that makes us take more beatings that we can actually handle, you know, because, you know, who knows what might have happened, how we've been treated, you know, maybe people have just treated us, treated, you know, us like I'm not valuable, you know, I'm not someone who one will go all the way for, you know, I'm not one who is someone's headache, you know, I'm not one who um, one who sacrifice for, you know, I'm not one who someone will be willing to change for, but like how people have treated us, it's made us, you know, feel that way, you know, and when we feel like, you know, I'm not really, because when people treat us bad, you know, like I said, meditate on the yin and yang. There's good in every evil and evil in every good. There's always going to be something evil inside of us. You know, something that really um, is unpleasant, something that can really attract something unpleasant to us. And when people treat us bad, some way, somehow, the way we become at peace with it is when we start to see ourselves as bad people. Because it's actually easy for me to feel like the reason this person is treating me like this is because I'm messed up. It's easier than if I really believe I'm so good and someone is treating me bad. Does that make sense? Like, it's easy for the mind. It's easier for the mind. Does, do, do, do you understand that? Or should I unpack it a little bit? Please unpack, please. When I feel like I'm not worth anything, when I, feel, I really feel like I'm not worth $100. So if you don't give me $100, I'm, you know, it's not really much of a pain to me because I don't really feel like I'm worth $100 anyway. You know? So when I feel like I'm less than $100, it's, you know, it makes it easy for me to 
cope with someone not giving me hundred dollars. But when I feel I'm worth five hundred dollars, and people give me hundred dollars, whoo! That's when the pain is up to a thousand. So it's easier for me to feel like I'm not worth hundred dollars because when I feel like that, when people treat me like I'm not worth hundred dollars, I can deal with it. So. Feeling like I'm not worthy of love, I'm not worthy of affection, I'm not worthy of care, of sacrifice. Feeling like that makes it easy to deal with when people don't treat me nice. Because if I start to actually see the good in myself, because everyone has good that you need to be aware of. It's not pride. You need to be aware of what you're worth. You need to be aware of who you are. You need to be aware of it. Now, what you do with your, that awareness is a different thing entirely, but you need to be aware. Jesus Christ said, don't you know that no one can, can have authority except my father gave it to him? Do you think you can kill me? That's what he said to Pilate. He knew who he was. He wasn't ignorant. That they were beating him is not because he thought he wasn't worth anything. No, he knew exactly what he was worth. Do you understand? But sometimes when we take a beating, it's because we believe that, you know, I'm not really good enough anyway, you know. So sometimes we just endure, endure, because deep down, yeah, as much as we see the good in people, oftentimes when all the time we see good in people is because most of the time all we see is bad in ourselves, you know. And um, in the long run, it, it really hurts, you know. It really hurts because most of the time, we just look at ourselves as a bad person. We just beat ourselves up for a lot. And we rarely beat anyone, even though sometimes people need some knocks on their head. <laughs> you know. So sometimes it's not really about how much love we have for a person. It's about how little love we have for ourselves. You know. And um, that's also something to be aware of, you know because it's good to be able to endure, but the heart from which you endure is also very important. Do you understand that? Huh? Yeah, yeah. The heart from which Jesus Christ endured all the things that were going on, it's not a heart of someone who, anyway, I'm not, you know, ah, if they don't do this, you know, who's gonna love me? Just, you know, it, it was a different heart. So we have to be honest with ourselves and know that the way this person is behaving, not just about me, but this is wrong. And we shouldn't be afraid to call out nonsense. That's truth, you know? We shouldn't be afraid to call out nonsense. When rubbish is happening, hey, this is rubbish, you know? And hey, you're not gonna to talk to me like that, you know? You're not gonna do that. I'm not gonna take that from you, you know? I'd be surprised, yeah, even if, they want to walk away. You can't also be afraid of someone walking away from you, you know? Easier said than done, because like I said, it's much deeper, you know, like the question you asked is not, it's much deeper than everything I'm saying right now. I'm just talking so that I say something, but you know, it's, it's really, these are deep, you know, issues of the heart. And I'm sure every one of us has different things like this, you know? But sometimes, you know, there's a part of us that are just afraid of, you know, being alone. So because of that, we, you know, we just allow ourselves to be beaten because at least someone is here to beat me. So it's better for someone to be here to beat me than for no one to be here at all. You know, so in times when you should say, hey, stop that, you won't because you're afraid that if you speak up your mind, you know, the person will walk away. 
tell me there's truth to what I've said. Yeah, you're right. You know, and um, we have to be sincere you know, with ourselves when we're in that kind of situation, you know. We have to be sincere with ourselves, you know. And um, not be afraid to call out nonsense, you know, and speak up, this is wrong, you know, and um, hey, this is wrong, this is unacceptable, you know, if, if you need to involve someone, you know, sometimes you might even need to call the police on someone, you know, like, like, we have to know when rubbish is happening, rubbish that shouldn't be happening, you know, and we can't just sit down and become battered because when we allow ourselves to become so battered, we become so battered that all we can do is batter everyone else. So the truth is that sometimes in you defending yourself, you're actually defending other people because you can get damaged to the point where all you can do to people is damage them. So sometimes protecting yourself is actually worth protecting others as well. And you have to know when someone is already getting to a point where they're breaking every part of you and maybe it's time to step back a little bit, you know, or at least talk. You can't just sit down and let all these things, you know, be happening and you don't see anything. Because who knows, if you talk, you might be surprised that they are not used to anyone confronting them like that and it might cause them to rethink a lot of things. So don't say in the name of, you know, I want to be kind. You don't even help them because if you love them, you can see that this character is nasty, it's poisonous. You know, it doesn't help them as people. So you even calling them out is actually love. It's actually compassion, it's actually help, you know? So that's something to you know, think about, you know? And if you feel you have a friend like that, who is always, you know, dishing out trash, well, even though we're called to still respond in love, part of love is actually telling people, hey, this is nonsense. And I'm not gonna take that from you. Not because I'm so high and mighty, but for me to accept this from you, I'm empowering a character that does not profit you in the long run. So it's still you loving them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. So that's what Thank I'll say. Uh -huh. So you need to call out people for their rubbish. Those <laughs> do psychologists, the El Shakar. Also, <laughs> we'll start booking you for sessions. <laughs> My Thank you, El. You're welcome. It is well with you. So yes, people, on that note, we've come to a very marvelous end of this discussion. Um, and in our next session, we're really going to dig into the subject even more, you know, and understand it, like I said, theologically, going through the Bible, understanding from different places, you know, different stories, and above all, seeing how it always relates with our person, because all study of the Bible, of any spiritual scripture, must ultimately point us to God, and to ourselves so that we live here with tools that will help us to transform our lives here and now. Because the whole point of us being here is not to learn one million things, it's for us to transform ourselves, to become better people, more functional people in our families and societies, that everything we do, some kind of life comes out to better our environment. Amen? Amen. 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 So yes. We thank God 
And thank you all for being patient and participating on to the end. So yes, until next time, friends. <laughs> until next time. <laughs>